0: Hey, I'm Jeff Reed. I'm Craig Killian. And this is the From First to Last podcast. <laughs> First to last podcast, it's a podcast with my friend Craig and I. We get together each week. We work our way through a director's theatrical filmography from their first film all the way through to their last. Craig, we're at season six. Who are we talking
1: Catherine Bigelow! <laughs> yes, yes. No reason for the big noise, but having a stroke. <laughs> yeah, Catherine Bigelow. A fantastic Catherine Bigelow.
0: And it's been a great season so far. It has been fantastic. Lots it's of... Been
1: very, even, I'll look at K-19, maybe. Yeah, but everything else has been pretty good. We'll we'll pretty get good. to the, the run that we're on at the moment. Actually, Wade Warden, yeah. Yeah.
0: I think it's been quite an intriguing... Season In the sense that we've sort of had some really good quality early on Yeah Uh, Then we sort of have dropped a little bit in quality Yeah And, And then, but not in such a way that you think justifies how hard it has been for this director I think,
1: I don't think much directorial Well, when I say on set quality, I don't think any of that has changed No it seems a lot of it is either pre. I think I spoke about this a little bit last week. Is a little bit pre and post production, you know yep. what I mean? Like gets yep. lost in the dialogue or gets editing. lost in the editing, you know, yep. or the visual effects or something like that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh.
0: And it's really interesting. I love that you went there because this film, I think, is one. We'll talk a bit more later if we can. I don't want to dwell on it now, but. It, This week we are talking, we did talk K-19 last week. Yes, we did. We've had a slight break in the season. Yes, we did. We had to take a week to recuperate. Yes. R&R is very important. Self-care.
1: Self-care. so But
0: we're back. Yes, exactly. We are back talking the Hurt Locker today. Exactly. Very excited about this. Oh, man,
1: this is going to be very, very... This is... The film I knew her for. Yeah, me too. And then you work backwards and you're and like, you go, oh, point break? Point break? <laughs> what
2: the hell? Yeah, <laughs>
0: totally. Um, but this one's a really interesting one because I think it's almost, I, I don't want to get in too much now, but we almost see a different Bigelow in this film. This is a mature
1: Bigelow. It
0: is, isn't it? And so I feel we've sort of had a rough season Yeah. in, in her filmography. Yeah two or three films that are just doing it a bit tough, not received well, and maybe knocked Bigelow's confidence around a little. And this is the film that sort of comes back with a bang. Yeah, this
1: is her. This is Bigelow very confident in her skills. So I guess all the other films you'll see, you see her practising these skills. you see her um, forgetting some of these skills. Um, This is the one where she's basically like, yeah, fuck this! I can do it. I'm gonna do it good. I'm really interested
0: when we go through the history and lead up of the film. Yeah, because uh, there's some stuff that I think will bring on a really interesting chat about how you overcome the challenges that Bigelow has faced. Yeah, and I think this is a the, this is a very interesting film. This is, and to throw it out there right now, this is the film where Catherine Bigelow became the first ever
1: female director to win exactly. an academy award for best director now second now there's two of them yes there was this week Chloe Zhao yep Nomadland Nomadland which is
0: coming on to a Disney plus it is they've got a little coming soon up there yeah exactly I've been watching a few of the best picture in China film. there was
1: no no detail about her win at all really so supposedly like freaking four years ago she said something bad about the government really I'd say yeah there's no mention is
0: Is she also directing the Eternals for Marvel? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Wowzers. Yeah, yeah. the Eternals. Yeah, the one that
1: basically everyone's going, This is just amazing. Like all these insiders are just like it's just amazing.
0: The reports are that Marvel are so surprised by how good the movie is. Yeah, exactly. They think this is gonna be a big one. I think they announced this week as well that Richard Madden is the the lead in it. So the main character, the guy oh, from cool. uh, Bodyguard like and he's a mad, Game of he's Thrones. He's a mad actor. So I'm really interested to see how that plays out. Well, what's
1: his name's in it as well? So Kamal Nunjani no, um, he? is he in this one? Um, John Snore's in it. Kit, Kit Harrington is Harington. as well, yeah, is he? Yeah, the Black Knight.
0: Oh, I didn't know I that. Know Angelina Jolie's in other one. this one?
1: Yeah. Yep. Angelina Jolie, Samma Hayek.
0: Yeah. Huge cast. Oh, huge,
1: huge cast.
0: So keen to see how that goes. So this is a really interesting one uh, because really if we do, like Craig mentioned before, if we really think about this, this is the film that really puts Catherine Bigelow on the map. Yep. Really brings her into the public eye where I think... probably didn't
1: know before this
0: film. Yeah, and and I think that's probably going to be the case for a lot of people, Craig. Yeah, exactly. And then you go back and see... Her previous work And you go Oh wow There's that I film I love this film I like that film You know yeah. There's quite a lot of films That we realise I love k <laughs> Strangely some Wait people do oh Way to water water <laughs> Not sure about that one The movie. But, <laughs> but So let's get into the film Hey Craig Let's get in Crack in So it's actually been Seven years since the release Of K-19 Now yep. Have a think about that, man.
1: Seven years is a long freaking time. My boy's eight.
0: Yeah, it's a long time. That's a right? long time. Now, interestingly enough, as we talked about previously, K-19 was released before The Weight of Water was released. Yep. So it's actually six and a half years since Weight of Water was released. Okay, cool. To when The Hurt Locker is released theatrically. Um, now, following the release, there was some... Um, following the release of K-19, oh, there good. was yeah. some... Poor box office results of K-19. Strange Amazing. Days didn't do well. Weight of Water didn't do well at the box office. So those sort of poor poor reviews, poor box office returns, sort of had Bigelow in this place, which people would call director's jail. Yep. Now, I listened to an interview with the LA Times where they asked Bigelow straight out, you know, like it's been a tough run for you, like seven years. You've been in director's jail basically Mm. how how was it and and they asked if like K-19 and Weight of Water had played a part in that time their poor performances and Bigelow actually was a little sort of defensive about that response
1: (laughs) now Pretty, Understandably,
0: yeah. That's very understandable. You'd be like,
1: what the remember heck? That time you fucked up like three yeah. times? How do you reckon that's affected you, that fuck-up? <laughs> that's exactly is right. It's pretty bad. Yeah, you, have you I learnt just, your lesson yet? Yeah, you've been a bit of a bit an outcast because of those <laughs> fuck-ups. You remember those $100 million fuck-ups? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. And
0: But what's really interesting, I love Bigelow's response, which was basically, she says, I've always developed my own pieces. So they're not projects that have just sat there waiting for a director to come along and take him and run with yep. it, a la those films that Sam Raimi did between, he mm-hmm. sort of had that season I of a simple part.
1: yeah We're going deep
0: today. Yeah, we're going um, to go. we're but Sam middle Raimi East. had that sort of season in the middle of his filmography where he stopped developing projects. He just took projects and yeah. a simple plan. I think we found out he came on board and within about four weeks was shooting.
1: And this is pretty.
0: much much what Ron Howard sort of does now. Does as well now. So she says that she develops her own pieces and people don't realise how time-consuming it is to do that. Yeah. So I sort of had a bit of a look and I was like, oh, man, then I wonder what Bigelow was developing that would take seven years because yeah. when we start getting into Hurt Locker, Hurt Locker wasn't even an idea until three years before it was filmed.
1: You know what? It, it, and... <sighs> I don't know, and I don't really want to judge the work ethic of um, creatives. But sometimes I just go, so what do they do in their day? It is interesting, isn't you know what it? I mean? Like, yeah, oh yeah, you know, it took me seven years to do this. I'm like, oh really? Like, I understand obviously the build, you know, you got to put together crews, all that, and that's huge. But I doubt she's the one going doing all that type of stuff. You know, doing there's the a hustle. Yeah, there's always production designers, there's always yeah. location designers. You know, I mean, location people. You know, there's all these people doing it. So yep. you know, just like, oh yeah. Seven years, fuck, man. You know what I mean? Like, it's interesting. Sometimes you have to put a project together in like fucking a year. Yeah, you know, and they're big projects. Yeah, know, yeah. From, you know what I mean?
0: I think from what I'm learning about this new season, I'm talking of the Bigelow. Hollywood
1: season. I'm not talking just Bigelow, sorry. I'm talking the yeah, Hollywood yeah, yeah. system.
0: I think looking into this, Bigelow does develop a lot
1: yeah. and does a lot of research. See, that makes sense to me. Like Carnahan's gaps. Totally makes sense to me because they're always on the cusp. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, and then they develop something and exactly. it falls through. And then Paul Bigelow's the same. She's in a friggin' like three, four lawsuits at the friggin' time yep. you know, and all that type of stuff, which would take up, which takes up your time, but I'm sure she doesn't have to be in court every yeah. day. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think um, as we'll find out more as we talk about mm. this, Bigelow is doing a lot of work mm-hmm. and developing a lot of stuff. Yep. And unfortunately, some things fall apart. In this time. ah, oh, cool. That's why I wanted. And yeah, moves yeah. on. But Bigelow also, throughout the interview process, promoting Hurt Locker, was asked about this time gap. Yeah. And Bigelow actually is almost apologetic in saying, I wish I was more prolific a filmmaker. I want to be making more films more often, but it's just not how I work. And I guess we could almost take that back to Bigelow's fine art, his- like background. Yeah. Because fine art isn't about slapping something together and it's art. Mm. It's actually meticulous and it takes time. And so I think Bigelow probably approaches filmmaking or the development of the project in the same way. And if we are looking back and hoping that Bigelow's learning lessons, the the last two films that she's directed, Weight of Water and K-19, our biggest complaint here on the podcast has been that it felt like the script wasn't yeah. In the good enough space. Yeah. Now, Bigelow is really smart because for the next three films, she aligns herself with someone who, is, who wins an Academy Award for this script. And the quality of those films are far superior
1: than previous okay, ones. Okay, so now, don't get me wrong. I'm not um, – please don't think I'm bagging out Bigelow here. But no. does that come down as a – point of skill that it takes so long for her to develop a film like this well because like if you think obviously there are some directors out there yeah who pull out well, let's be honest let's, let's say a, you know like some like a um you know zemeckis obviously this you could have to say he's a different could pull out a film that's very similar if not better in a shorter amount of time
0: yeah yeah i think so i think what big Low does though and I haven't done a lot of research for our yeah, next I think episode. Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson. Yeah. Where I want to go though, Craig, is just we'll probably talk about it more in the Zero Dark 30 episode. Mm. Bigelow actually is so meticulous in making sure that these stories are told correct. I think Cameron. It's that um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. James Cameron takes a while between projects though, Craig. Yeah,
1: oh, he does. He does, but like um I guess uh, uh, that's what I'm saying. I'm just basically I'm just trying to see if this is considered a strength. Yeah, I think where where this probably is a strength
0: is that if people were to pull apart if this was legit or not, hmm. um, I think there were some complaints about Hurt Locker yep. not being as legitimate as it could be by people who were in the work. Yeah, uh, For Zero Dark Thirty, I do know Bigelow went as far as having actual people as insiders. Yeah, feeding information that she wouldn't reveal who they were or awesome. even what they were, because basically having contacts like spies for her filmmaking. So awesome. So I think Bigelow is wanting it to be as real and truthful as she can, and that does take time. You can't you can't rush that. Whereas Zemeckis may not, and Howard to an extent, yeah, may not be as concerned about making sure they've. Crossed their T's And dotted their I's On details Ooh. On details I'm saying like The things where You could track back And go Oh well If this bomb Was Let's take Hurt Locker As a good I example I disagree Really <laughs> 100% I'm not talking about Filmmaking I'm taking no, 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 no. The I'm factual
1: talking... parts Of the story Elements of the story Oh yeah And there's heaps of I like Obviously we'll get into More of this I watched some videos On this Yeah on this Hurt Locker Yeah and about the um, accuracy of it. Oh, did you? I love yeah, it. Yeah. It was actually done by experts, like people who were bomb experts. Yeah, um, so, so one good. was SAS. Then there was a couple of guys who did. And obviously there is, and you got to sacrifice some realism for filmmaking. Storytelling? Yeah, for yeah. storytelling. Storytelling. You know what I mean? Like there's, you know, there's some things where basically they show military triggers. He's got civilian triggers on some of his um, bombs. Oh, really? They go, well, why would he use civilian triggers? He just used military triggers. But the reason is military triggers don't look as fancy as it sounds. You know what I mean? And stuff like that. Or the fact when he pulls up the string and there's like five or six bombs hidden under, you know, you see this trailer. Yeah. They're about 30 kilos each one. So you can't just... No. And and you saw how easy he pulled the wire out of the last one. Yeah. So why would you lift it up by the wires? By the wires. By the wires. Yeah. But, but that's an intense moment That is such oh, great it's brilliant. storytelling Oh, that's brilliant Exactly, that's directing That's brilliant <laughs> directing That's storytelling at its finest And I, I couldn't give a shit That it was nothing like that Because I don't want to know Yeah <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? I'm the same I want to be I'm in the same. suspense part of it I want to be in the suspense part of it But yeah, no, no But look, look It's, yeah It's, um I don't know. I think, yeah, I've gone off track. It's, it's not me. I I don't want to sound like I'm bagging it off. I'm just trying. I'm really just trying to work my head around whether it's a, whether it's a skill that needs to be honed because I guess there's a shorter distance between zero dark thirty and Hurt Locker. Yes. So I'm just thinking there's. And obviously, you still I think haven't it's gone about through the four years. I think you haven't fully gone through the story of Hurt Locker either. Did. No, so so you know we're about mean? to I, dig in. Yeah, exactly. So I'm just thinking, you know, I think I'm just trying to. I hear you. Find it's almost like is it an to attribute to take your
0: time and meticulously put together a story, oh, oh, or is it something that you have to craft better in order to be a more prolific filmmaker?
1: I'm just seeing what they do with their time. Yeah, like <laughs> if these guys were contracting under me, I'd be like. Yeah, but what what are you doing with your time? Yeah, <laughs> I'm paying you for this. What are you doing with your time? Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> and yeah, I guess yeah. that's the, the slow part of the system. Well, let's talk dig what let's was happening in. with the gap, because I think director's jail is playing a bit of a part. I think so. I don't. Th- I think um, she's toning that down a little we bit. We probably more would have
0: seen. Say if director's jail wasn't happening, ages. we probably would have had a project in another two or three years. Agreed. Post k Okay, got cool, you. Cool. Um, so, during this sort of time, the the seven years, Bigler shot a few commercials. Cool. And is actually, I wish I'd known this earlier, actually shot one for the Super Bowl this year that oh, was released. She? she did one for the Defence Force. Um oh, cool. So, basically like a recruitment sort of video. Um, But during that time, <laughs> sh- shooting a heap of commercials, I tried to track down what ones during that time yeah. period were, but it's almost like, unfortunately... Now she's an Academy Award-winning director. Yeah. People are putting by Catherine Bigelow on things. But back then, I don't think there was a lot of by Catherine Bigelow.
1: Why Defence Force? I
0: I think we're finding with the filmmaking that she takes on here.
1: I think it's one of those things like, you know, um, homeboys singing Pretty Fly For A White Guy. (laughs) I don't think they understand the concept more. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you saw these Trump supporters singing um, "Rage Against the Machine." Yeah, yeah. yeah these, I, I don't think <laughs> it you're makes me think it, of the Princess <laughs> Bride. These
0: yeah. things you say, I don't think they mean what you think, think they, they say. Exactly, exactly.
1: <laughs> that's exactly. <it. laughs> hey, you did some awesome war movies, <laughs> and she's probably like, "Oh yeah, you're gonna give me money," but I don't think you're <laughs> <laughs> I think,
0: uh, and we'll get there a bit later. I think what Bigelow does really well in Hurt Locker is you get to see both sides pretty objectively. Um, you know, so she's not glorifying the suicide bombers in this. No, that's she's awesome. also not playing them out as horrible, stereotypical villains. Yeah, um, even the bystanders around town,
1: You've yeah, uh, still got them wearing suits, though. That's true, but I
0: wonder if that's those
1: oversized suits, I yeah, I can, <laughs> those big suits. I don't suits. every Middle Eastern movie why are you got to be in an oversized suit I or an, or an oversized to. collared shirt.
0: Can I tell you that when I was in Egypt? Is Not that the Middle East. Did you see uh, they did wear that a lot. But the reason was because a lot of them had machine guns under there.
1: Oh. So, like uh.
0: automatic weapons. And it wasn't until, like, I was sitting at a cafe and I saw something shining in the sun. I looked over and the guy had, like, a platinum machine gun. you like a shiny metal oh, machine shit. gun. I was like, dang. But, like. Was he just a citizen? I think sometimes there's security for the buses. So when I'd gone, it was 2005, I think the year before, someone had gone to the Valley of the Queens That's and right. shot up a hot air balloon and a whole heap of stuff. Mm. So uh, a lot of companies were employing private security to be on board. Oh, man, tourism is like one
1: of the hardest Well, it's man. the
0: primary export yeah. of um, of Egypt. So, um, yeah, so it was really interesting. So I've often, like, when I see it, I go, oh, it makes sense. They want to. <laughs> that people well, are hiding weapons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> um, not saying that everyone in Egypt has automatic weapons, but um, so Bigelow shoots some commercials. Actually, ended up um, she shoots a short film as well for Pirelli. Yeah, and it was released in 2007 called Mission Zero, and it actually starred Uma Thurman.
1: Oh really? Yeah. What's so it about?
0: Uh, it's just an Tires. eight minute, pretty much like Uma Thurman is being chased in a car. It's like
1: a, a just an eight minute That's chase. i like that film. thing Joe Carnahan did. Yeah, similar to Kirk that.
0: Um, so it was filmed in two thousand and six, um, and the commercials really kept Bigelow working while she developed a TV series. Ooh. Now the TV series was actually has some links to our season five director because it was for Imagine Entertainment Ooh. for Ron Howard and Brian Grazer. Now. The, the TV series was called The Inside and it was based upon an article in Playboy magazine which was written by Mark Bowl. Yeah. Now, Mark Bowl will come back into this story a bit later on, oh. so it's good to know he's there. Bigelow developed the series from uh, 2003 through to 2004 and it was based around the premise of a 23-year-old woman. It's a true story. Mm-hmm. A twenty-three-year-old woman who posed as a sixteen-year-old in high school student to investigate a drug ring.
1: Oh, so it's sort of like real life Twenty One Jump Street. And then it got remade into Never Been Kissed. So Drew <laughs> 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 Barrymore came on and said,
0: "I got some changes to make." The, uh, Bigelow ended up leaving the project, yeah. so she was developing the project with writer Mark Bowl, who'd written the the article. Bucking boy Um developed, uh, she drops out of the project and it was redeveloped as a young FBI agent working in violent crimes and actually became a TV series that aired for a year or so.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Called was it The called? Inside. Oh, okay. I thought it was um, FBI. So
0: it was released in 2005 and was cancelled after seven episodes oh. the season. But Bigelow wasn't involved at that point. She dropped out and so. then it became redeveloped. I think the reasoning behind uh, when I looked further into it was that, she was being pushed by Imagine Entertainment to move away from the actual reality of the article yeah, and make it more of a, I guess there's a, a limited time frame, so it's going like, to be a serial. Yeah, yeah like Criminal Minds, right, CSI, that's right. that type of stuff. Yeah. And so she wasn't happy about stepping money. away from that. They do. And when you think something like, I don't know, we've been watching Castle on Disney+, Plus, yeah. which is the Nathan Farlan sort of murder mystery. Super fun. But there's eight seasons of that. 20 episodes. Good it's Lord, It's big money. Man. Yeah. So, and he is hilarious in the, that show. Oh, he's, he's, got a,
1: he's got a lot, a lot, a lot of charm. That he man.
0: does. He certainly Just does.
1: A bad agent.
0: Now, in 2003, Bigelow, which is um, sort of when this is all, she's developing the other TV series, she also directed an episode of a TV show called Karen Sisko. Ooh. Now, the TV sh- uh, series starred Carla Guigno,
1: Oh, I love her.
0: And was based on a character from several Elmore Leonard novels. Uh, Several? Yeah. Now, this character is actually who Jennifer Lopez plays in the movie Out of Sight. She plays Karen Sisko in Out of Sight by Steven Soderbergh. That's right. That's right. And so this was a TV series based around that character using stories across lots of Leonard's Yeah. Um, Novels. Now, unfortunately, Karen Sisko was cancelled before Bigelow's episode ever aired. Oh. So, I don't know if it's out there to watch, but her one-hour episode of this show uh, was filmed, basically ready to go. It was going to be the last episode of the season. Yeah. And, yeah, it got cancelled. So a bit sad, isn't it? That is sad. Now, Bowl, who was collaborating with Bigelow for the Insider TV series continues on with his journalism. And during that time, both he and Bigelow stayed connected. So just sort of emailing back and forth, what are you doing at the moment? What's going on? What are some articles you're working on? Bol goes on in 2003 to write an article named Death and Dishonour. And it was about a military veteran who goes searching for his missing son. And that article actually goes on to be the basis for Paul Haggis's 2007 film, In the Valley of Elah.
1: Oh, yeah, Tommy yeah, Lee with Tommy Jones. Jones.
0: So, he wrote the article that that was based upon. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So, by 2004, Bowl continues being an investigative journalist and it takes him further into the field where he is embedded with an elite bomb squad in Baghdad. Ooh. Okay. Now, I thought the idea, when I read the article that talked about this, they kept using the phrase embedded journalism. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. I want to dig a bit into that to really know what embedded journalism is. And so it's quite fascinating and also a little controversial. It is The it's idea controversial. of embedded journalism. And it actually started during that war when Mark Boll was there. So he was one of the first people as part of the embedded journalism. Now, it's basically when reporters are attached to military units during armed co- conflict. Uh, they basically spend all day, every day yeah. living it and breathing it. And it really became prominent during the 2003 invasion of Iraq. Yeah.
1: They say there's heaps of propaganda. And that's where the
0: controversy is mm. because because they are so deeply embedded in this, everything coming out glorifies the people they're alongside of. Exactly. Because exactly.
1: You, you start to bond. You can help a exactly bond That's exactly right.
0: And so it gives – journalism is meant to be objective. Yep. And so when you're so deeply embedded with these people, living and breathing life with them, then what is given and presented is often considered a distorted view of what's really going on. Again, if someone's spending all day every day with a bomb squad in Baghdad, of course their article is going to talk about them as the heroes of the peace. Yeah, exactly. Versus what are the struggles that the locals are facing through it all.
1: Oh, exactly. Plus, you know, if you're in the gunfight, it's hard to actually do it unless you're watching the gunfight from a distance. That's right. Yeah. And it's interesting in Hurt Locker because we see the
0: doctor who goes along for the ride with them. I feel that's Mark Bowl. He's a good actor. He is a
1: great actor and he has popped up in a few
0: things, including K-19.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's K-19 and he's the, the villain in one of my favorite shows. I can't even remember the name now. Penny Dreadful. Oh, really? Yeah, in the last season. Yeah. Oh, cool. Green. Yeah, he played Dracula. So good.
0: I do like him in Dexter as well. Oh, really? He's oh. really good in the I first season of Dexter. I not much of Dexter. So we've got, it's 2004. Bowl is living with troops in Baghdad and they're following him in their day-to-day disarming um, IEDs. So improvised explosive devices. And during this time, Bol kept in contact with Bigelow and was sort of sending through little snippets of what was going on, what he was experiencing over there. And um, he began writing an article uh, called The Man in the Bomb Suit, which was published in about 2005. Cool. So it was based around a bomb expert called Sergeant Jeffrey S. Sava uh, Sava. Sorry, Sava, my writing's terrible. (laughs) While in Iraq, Bole and Bigelow emailing each other. And really, they come to a mutual decision that what Bole's experiencing is so good, there should be a film made about this. And so this begins a new sort of creative partnership for Bigelow, which I touched on before, which is uh, Bole and her then work together to develop The Hurt Locker, Zero Dark Thirty, and Detroit. Wow. Um, And some really interesting things start appearing, and we'll talk about them deeper in Zero Dark Thirty, but people were really shocked when stories came out from Zero Dark Thirty at actually how much power Mark Bowl already had on set, like considered almost a director in his own rights. So
1: there's some real controversy around it. Um, Yeah, but is this just more Catherine Bigelow sexist bullshit? Uh you know what I mean, like she's poor bugger. she's heard it before, you know. This yes, is a, James Cameron directing. Uh,
0: I think this is less about Mark Bowl being the director, not believing that Bigelow's directing. Oh, okay. But more Go, not reigning Bowl in. Ooh, so much ooh. so that when we get to financing of this film later, Bowl is considered a quite abrasive person. He says it about himself. He says he's all elbows, so he's just oh, he's really a getting in there. Journalist, And so I think his approach to most things put people offside pretty easily. <laughs> and so I think where I'm going with the relationship is the stories I read about Zero Dark Thirty is that Bigelow didn't rein him in. Oh, okay. When it should have been, which led to people thinking that he had more power on set than Bigelow. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. You get it? Getcha, um, get so it? I haven't written this down, but when they get funding for this film, Bowl was so abrasive, the person who funded the film sacked him. Good. And then realized that he needed him and brought him back on. Good. So some people need a kick in the ass. 100%. And you especially know? this is Bowles' first ever screenplay.
1: I love when people say, oh, yeah, you know, I can be a bit abrasive if I stand up for my ideals and shit. So you tell me you're an asshole. <laughs> Just tell me you're an asshole. <laughs> Don't try to hide it behind these friggin' like you're some soldier running up a freaking hill. You're an asshole. Yes. If yeah. you can't regulate yourself. Exactly. To be civil. Yeah, exactly.
0: Nine times out of ten, you're an a-hole. Yeah, exactly. So, Bol starts working on a spec script for Bigelow on the project. And it's all based around his time in Iraq. Now, Bigelow, when she receives the spec script, was still unsure if this was the project she was going to work on. Yeah. Was considering developing another project. Ooh, what's that? Which I'm not sure what it is. I think it might be the project that then evolves into either Triple Frontier... Yeah. which we'll talk about it again next episode. An amazing cast was coming together for that I still project. watched it, eh? It's actually not a bad film, cool. hey. Got um, enough talent, it no? And the other one is there was a story that Bigelow develops that ends up being scrapped to do Zero Dark Thirty, oh. which was similar sort of thing. Mm. Um, but she actually shared the spec script with James Cameron and he convinced her to chase this as her next project. Cool. So they're still quite civil and talking about projects and stuff. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't want to kick
1: James Cameron out of your life. (laughs) He's a great ally to have on board, isn't he? Talk about just innovation, though. You know, the guy's just... Yeah, and
0: that innovation we've seen through this season has rubbed off on Bigelow. And again, we see... There's a the style of filmmaking she uses for this. We'll get there a bit later. Is so crazy. Like not. It's just crazy that she tried it. You yeah. know, So we'll get there again soon. So throughout 2005, Bigelow and Mark Bowl collaborate together through 17 versions of a script for this film. Good lord. <laughs> yeah. Before finalizing it. Uh, now fun fact: the original title for the film was called "The Something Jacket." Oh cool. So no obviously the big bomb jacket that they've yeah. fit on, I'm guessing it would have some relevance to what do you call it? I don't know, the something, something jacket. The something jacket? So Sounds I do like, like the a, hurt wacky, a bit more. Wacky Road film. <laughs> it does doesn't it? <laughs> they just escape a mental institution. <laughs> um, so Dexter and Davey come Whoa. across America for that something jacket. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Love it. Sergeant James has lost his mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, while working on the script, Bigelow begins the task of storyboarding the film awesome. and starts working along. And they both wanted, both Bigelow and Bowl agreed that they both wanted the film to be an independent film. They didn't want the story to be watered down by a major studio because yep. they knew that this would be a confronting film for a major studio to make. So they begin reaching out to people. Bigelow reaches out to a few people that she'd worked with and connected with to try and gain funding while still having creative control and this being a purely independent film. And so this led Bigelow and Bull to meet with a man named Nicholas Cartier, who, uh, Chartier, as you say, who financed the film through his independent company, Vantage Pictures. Now, Chartier was... um, Coming off the back of financing Paul Haggis's Crash, oh, and so it had won a few Oscars, including he didn't Best, want best Picture, too. And he actually felt that Hurt Locker was the best script he'd read since Crash, and believed in the project so much he actually, it's reported, he mortgaged his house to finance the film. Oh, really? Yeah. So, pretty huge. I don't know if it paid off because when we talk box office returns, this is actually the lowest grossing Best Picture winner in history.
1: Oh, really?
0: Yeah. So, But not a financial flop. Good, good, good. So when financing's in place, they begin casting. And it was reported in 2007 that the film would actually star Charlize Theron. What? Colin Farrell, Willem Dafoe, yep. and Ray Fiennes. Wow. And that was Would have seen their dicks, and the <laughs> and the aim was that they would shoot Charlie. <laughs> not Charlie Saranov is the Charlie Saranov. We love the foe would have
1: showed his little Defoe. So
0: it's interesting Maybe because a um, I w- I don't know if that meant that Farrell was going to play Jeremy Renner's role. I think where this the Charlie Theron would be. Script. So it's really interesting that that was the way it was going. Now I don't know. I tried to find out if that was a report from the production company. Yeah. It's with reliable sources. So they were on the Hollywood Reporter and places like that that generally get it right. Um, so, but I did find out that Big Low felt really strongly that the cast needed to be unknown actors because to have a big name actor like a Charlize Theron or a, or, or a Colin Farrell, yeah, um, she felt that it would draw away from the story, yep. which is the important part of the film. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So they start looking for who they were going to pick for the role and Catherine Bigelow came to the finances and said, I've just watched this film called Dharma mm. and you've got to check out this guy, Jeremy Renner. I think he's going to be huge. And so they signed Jeremy Renner as Sergeant James. She then chased down uh, Anthony Mackie. Dharma, was that about? Jeffrey Dharma. The That's right, killer, yes, yes, yes. Uh, which Jeremy Renner played. Now, she chases down Anthony Mackie, and that was based on his work with Ryan Gosling in Half Nelson. Yep. And then Brian is, uh was signed because she loved him in the movie Jarhead, Sam Mendes' Jarhead. Cool. So, with a cast in place, they begin um, began filming in Jordan. And the 44-day shoot began on July in 2007. And it was a really grueling shoot because actors all wore um, authentic suits. So those bomb suits are yeah. actually bomb suits that people would wear and most days on average were around 49 degrees Celsius.
1: That's what one of the bomb experts actually said that. He goes, "Yeah, we don't actually wear the full suit because it's too hot." Yes, yeah, too hot. He goes, "You most of the time you wear you just wear the top half?" Yeah. Um, and you won't wear the bottom. You'll you just wear, you know, you won't wear the bottom half. Yeah, or well that, that it gets too hot.
0: I saw some things with the actors as well, and Jeremy Renner talks about. So a lot of the times they were getting stomach bugs from the food they were eating over there, oh. and so they were filming while being sick, and the heat, and they all lost massive amounts of weight while over there. Gosh. So on top of this Bigelow, and this is where I said was. Pretty innovative and crazy in there. Bigelow actually had four films, uh, four units filming at the same time. That's hard. Throughout the film. Yeah. So you can imagine some of those sets are quite
1: tight. Yeah, they are incredibly.
0: And to have four different units, so we're talking someone with a handheld, yep. someone on a dolly, yep. someone on a rig, you know, all happening at once. And so. They were just trying to capture as much footage as possible so that if they needed to draw on it, obviously when you're doing big explosions and things like that, you don't want to have to reset all that. Yeah. So it makes sense why you're doing it, but at the same time, absolute madness, because then we'll get to it. The editing process is stupid. <laughs> so this also posed the problem of editing, which is, there was over 200
1: hours of footage shot for this film. Wow. And and obviously, once again, we're talking footage of the same scenes, just from yes. what you're saying, just from different perspectives, different cameras. Yes. Okay, gotcha. And so they needed to edit that footage,
0: and some of the reports was that it was almost unusable at times because it was so shaky. And one report was... That it was described as a hodgepodge of disconnected nausea inducing motion that was constantly crossing the one eighty degree line. Now, I want to take uh-huh. a little moment to discuss the one eighty degree line. please explain. um and so I had to do a bit of research because I was I have like, no idea. What the one eighty degree line. what the heck is this? So, Picture a conversation happening. Craig and I are having a conversation right now. We are sitting across from each other. Yes. Now, if we think about conventional filmmaking, it's there would parallel. be there would be a camera over my shoulder looking at Craig. Yep. And a camera over Craig's shoulder looking at me. Yes. You know, when they film. Like so when we do an interview. That's, a, that's right. Yeah. And so what there is, is you imagine a, a line through the middle of Craig and myself. Yep. That you cannot cross... 180 degrees of that line. In doing so, it actually changes the line of sight for the the filming and will result in this sort of discomfort and an unease to the look of the shot because it actually makes you feel like the people aren't looking at each other when they're talking. They're looking at totally different things and some filmmakers love to cross the line as they call it, and they do it on purpose. Kubrick does it a lot in The Shining to really give you a sense of unease because the shots feel like people are moving and you're missing something. Um, There's ways you can bend the rules if the editing isn't going to allow it. So uh, I found this great YouTube clip, which I'll pop up actually because it's probably a really good thing for people to love and get into if they love filmmaking or the idea of filmmaking. But Jaws has it. A lot of the time, obviously, there's constraints to filming on a ship uh, or boat, as they were. And so what they do is to trick your brain and not feel the discomfort that comes from crossing the line, you then edit in a footage of, say, a fishing line going into the water. You watch it go bloop in the water, then you cut to the next shot. And even though it's crossed the line, your brain doesn't go, oh, gosh, what's going on? And so... In this, by having four film crews shooting at once, you would have this feeling of, of discomfort on top of the tension, which would just be too much for the film. Yeah. So that 180-degree line is really important. And um, the video that I'll pop up on YouTube has some great shots uh, using Michael Mann's heat. Okay. Uh, and in doing that, you see why it's really important in it. And then it shows you when people do... Do it the wrong way, and Ooh, what that I does love that to stuff. you. So it's it's really good, and the guy that narrates it has this beautiful honey-soaked, voice, the
1: English honey. Oh, good. Voice. So um, not that robotic voice that's, that's automatically done for people to choose. No, I, that's the worst that one. Um, so with this film,
0: they hired an editor named Chris Ennis to to edit the film, and their intention was is to have this turned around as quickly as possible.
1: Because that always works out well. That
0: yes, because uh, again, the independently filming. Yeah. So Ennis was actually in Jordan with Bigelow, and oh, wow. um, working on editing on the fly. So with what they shot on the day, yep. Ennis would try and edit it together. So basically, were, the rough cut would be a more complete version of it in time to then do some more editing upon the end of filming. Cool. So. When they sort of returned to L.A., they realized how big a job they had to do, and they brought on a second editor to assist the project. Now, this editor is no newcomer to the podcast. Oh. Their name is Bob Morawski. Now Murrowski's work we have discussed quite extensively because he pretty much worked on nearly every Sam Raimi project from Army of Darkness onwards.
1: Oh wow, so he knows Including
0: Spider Man's Oz, all those films. Oh man, he knows how to do the crazy shit. He sure does. And what ends up happening is Murowski comes on board and it's an eight month job to edit this film. Good lord. So you could imagine how much work went into it. Yeah. Now I think it's really important to talk about this now because our biggest concern in the last couple of films for yeah Bigelow has been surrounding at times the editing of the films. Yeah, post production. Yeah, and so Murawski comes on board, and he and Ennis both win an Academy Award for editing in this film. Oh, well deserved. Incredibly and well deserved. I want to pose something which we can talk about a bit later. Is is this an amazingly directed film or is this an amazingly edited film? Because the the idea of so much footage being put in there, I guess the directing is storyboarded and thought out by Bigelow, mm. but 200
1: hours of footage. I think we've talked about this before. I, and, and sorry if I'm repeating, just the, she's, She's great on set. I think. I assume you know her production, yep. her her shots, her setups are f- perfect, and I think she's always lost herself, obviously, in these post production moments. I think with this one is, I think, look, I I think she proves, um, I think she proves she's a great director here. Yeah, um, and I think remembering a great director and this is something that James Cameron, obviously just by coincidence, James Cameron Cameron liked to talk about is, is a great director is someone who brings great talent on. Yes. Or who finds great talent, not just in the, you know, like Bigelow finds great talent in the film, like in the actors. hundred percent. Um, But how much of the crew are the great talent that you, you know, that you're having with you at the same time? Yeah. All these great directors, Always have a great team yep. for these great movies. You know what I mean? For yeah, these yeah. great movies. They have this great team that they put together. And I think this is just one of those. This is that time.
0: The We talk about this often in the podcast that there is one or two films that feel like everyone's firing on all cylinders. That's it, yeah. And I really do think... I just posed the question because I thought it was an interesting one. It is an interesting um, question. To really dive into. But I do think this is Bigelow's firing on all cylinders. Yep. Mark Bowles firing on all cylinders. Yep. It's a great story. Um, editing is phenomenal in this yep. film. And the cinematography is beautiful as well.
1: Exactly. And I think it's unfair to say, you know, like, oh, she's got some hodgepodge stuff, you know, that was hard to... Obviously, if you're doing shaky cam, if it was a whole movie of shaky oh. cam, and as you know... It can almost turn into some 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 of Paul Greengrass' films. Yes. Turn too shaky. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Was and it so United 93? Was it yeah, that something one? Like that. Something like that. That was. But if you're so sitting shaky. there all night watching that, yeah. You know, if you're an editor and you're watching that, you're just watching. Remember, and remember always, every, and I think we said this way back in Ron Howard, um, early Ron Howard, is when you watch dailies. These things are usually horrible until they're put together. Yeah. um, Until the post guys and all these guys put them together.
0: And can we imagine if this was a studio film Mm. and there was 200 hours of footage? Mm. Like, if we think this is a two-hour film, that's essentially like for every
1: minute there's an hour of footage. Remember how much footage there is for Lord of the Rings. Yes. You know what I mean? And that doesn't... And I don't think that belittles their their directing in any way, shape, or form because they're doing it of the same, like you said, the same concept, the same setup, the same storyboard. Uh, They're not just going, oh, they're not filming every single possible way to do it because they're too scared to make it a a creative choice. Yes. They're just doing several creative choices at the same time without doing everyone.
0: Yeah, Mm. it's so good, isn't it? Mm. Um. So, the film ends up having its world premiere at the Venice International Film Festival. Yay! Premiered September 2008. 2008. So, we've got this listed as a 2009 release. We base it on theatrical release. Giddy-up. So, they have their their screening and it actually received a 10-minute standing ovation. It's pretty huge,
1: isn't it? Won a whole heap of awards. that had there. hurt my hand, man. I couldn't I can't clap for ten minutes.
0: <laughs> Remember when we went to that Star Trek World premiere and they just clapped for ages? Yeah. And then the cast and crew stood up and you could they kept clapping and we were just like, Man, we've been clapping for a while. Yeah, long
1: exactly. I'd just stop clapping and just go, Yeah. Yep.
0: <laughs> we love you, Michael. We love you, Michael. Um, so the that film, was great
1: sound, though. It was great was sound. Fantastic. Ben Burt came out. The Man,
0: legend Ben Burt came fantastic. out and did that. Um, so Hurt Locker then basically goes on the road and does all the festival circuit for the majority of 2008 and was so um, well-received that it actually got purchased by Summit Entertainment to be distributed. Ooh. And so they start the run. Now the theatrical run uh, began in in after Toronto International Festival. It was released in the United States in June two thousand and nine. Yep. And it grossed pretty decent, uh, but Summit really didn't weren't too clever in understanding the. Importance and how much people would want to see this film. Yeah, so it was actually a shortage of reels because it was a film print at this time. Oh. So actually, wasn't enough copies of the film to go around. Oh man! So it's a bit Steve. of a it's a bit yes, yeah, Steve, Steve the the dang work experience Damn kid it, again. Steve. So they end up um, having a shortage of prints to to send everywhere. What ends up happening is they take. Uh, The film cost about $15 million to make. Fantastic. Um, Ends up grossing around $49 million worldwide. That's pretty damn good. But obviously with a shortage of copies of the film, means that the international release took a while because there was a time, Craig would probably remember it, where Australia would often get the film... A week or two later than the rest of
1: the world oh, Probably more sometimes, man yep. more. and it purely was because like they are bringing them over by fucking ship
0: Well, what the problem was it Was they would have to wait for the theatrical run to finish In order to get the reels over to, to Australia Oh, really? I never thought of that Yeah, so we oh. were actually We were actually <laughs> watching reels That had done the entire theatrical run Of probably the US Followed by Europe And now then they get sent it by Dropbox It's <laughs> It's, it's crazy, no, isn't it's it? Yeah, no, true. Yeah, I remember someone 100%. telling us. Um, 100%. I actually had the pleasure. Shout out if you're listening, JK. We love you. Shout he you took out. me into the, um, the projector room the for the one of the cinemas that he was working in and showed for me loving. the um, hard drive that all the films were stored on. And essentially, they would just plug that in and it would download the next lot of films onto that Fantastic. hard drive. And you'd just plug it into the projector and away you went.
1: I'd still fuck it up somehow.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, with the film release, it then goes on its award run and it basically picks up awards through Venice Film Festival Mm -hmm. and gets nominated for nine categories of the Academy Awards that year, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, Best Sound Editing, Best Sound Mixing and Best Film Editing. Yep. Um, It lost the award for Best Actor to Crazy Heart, which was Jeff Bridges' Bridges. won that year. Best Original Score it lost to um, because of Up. Yes. And Best Cinematography went to Avatar (laughs) for James Cameron. Now, Bigelow became the first woman to win an Oscar for Best Director, as we talked about. And it was an interesting little awards run because it saw her... Come up against <laughs> James Cameron in the Best Picture race. I believe also maybe Quentin Tarantino was nominated for Inglorious Bastards that but, year. Yeah, he always. Um, there was actually quite a large list of great filmmakers that li- that year. Um, so really big. Now, interesting enough, there then comes a year after its release, a lawsuit over the film. <laughs> yes. Now, in early March 2010. US Army bomb disposal expert Mark Sergeant Jeff, Master Sergeant Jeffrey Sava, who the article Mark Bowl wrote, mm. uh, filed a million dollar lawsuit against the film The Hurt Locker. Basically saying that he coined the phrase the Hurt Locker. Yeah. And the phrase war is a drug to Mark Bowl. And obviously the film opens with the. Yeah, the but title. he has a
1: quote. It's actually quoted by someone else apart from that. And that his likeness
0: was what they based on the character of James. So basically saying he is Jeremy Renner, and he was just felt... He wishes. He said he felt a little hurt and a little bit left out. Like in a locker. (laughs) (laughs) And he said he felt he should have got some sort of financial... Return for the film Mm. because it was about him, essentially. Um, And I guess if you felt a movie was made about your life, you would probably think, why aren't I making money out of my own story? Because I can't go and sell my story now because they're going to say, that's just a hurt locker. Um, Really interesting enough, though, uh, that he lost the court case. and actually was ordered to pay all the attorney fees for the film. Oh, that's horrible. Pretty crazy. So it was in December that it was announced that it was all sorted out, December 2011. (laughs) So, yeah, really interesting. (laughs) Now, another really interesting thing that came out of it is we're at a very um, pinnacle time for film, which is this is around the time when film companies started trying to fight back on online piracy. Ah, yes. And remember the Dallas Bias Club was Arr. was a film where they really tried to crack down on people who were doing it. They call it a honeypot, which is they put a copy of the film out there, yep. hoping that people download it, and as soon as they open it, it sends the IP address to them on who had done this. Ooh. Now, um, interesting enough, in 2010, May 2010, Voltage Pictures actually – start filing lawsuits against people who had pirated the Hurt Locker yeah. following on from the Academy Awards win. And so they really go out there and start um, demanding, each person that they found had downloaded the film, they demanded $1,500 That's in right. order to not be sued. Um, so really interesting. They ended up dropping all the cases against it yeah. because it got a bit bit crazy, but really started a real shift where Hollywood started trying to fight back on online pirates. But it also hurt
1: them too. It did,
0: big time, because then people started.
1: That's when people are going, you know what? Streaming is probably a good idea.
0: Yeah, (laughs) totally, totally. And now you see what's happening is the streaming services are generally film companies in their own.
1: Same, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I've, look, I won't lie. There was times where um, I've probably I've dabbled into pirating, um, but now just just streaming. It's I've, pretty look, crazy. I I always say I agree. I I hundred percent agree. Always get it legit if you can. Um, there's just some stupidity in regards to dates and when things get released, and all that crap that sometimes makes it hard. But now it's easy. It's it's fairly damn easy to get every. 99% of every friggin' movie out there now.
0: I've got to say... YouTube movies. Yeah, YouTube is an amazing resource for hiring movies. Yeah. They have such a big... Love it. ...big catalogue. Yep. Um, but probably in a post-COVID world, for Australia... For our international listeners out there, in Australia, we often get movies later than other yeah. countries do. Pixar films are a prime example. Before COVID, we would have to wait three months to see the latest Pixar film. I remember Toy Story 4, um, we had to wait for school holidays. Yeah. And most people I knew that were pirate dabblers, all pirated... Toy Story 4. Yeah. I realised that I could just buy the copy on Blu-ray from Amazon US Mm -hmm. and it would generally be here before the film was even released in cinemas. Um, Now, thankfully, in a post-COVID world, one of the only good things to come out of COVID is that um, distribution companies have realised they need to be releasing it worldwide in order for people to be able to see their films and make some money out of it. Exactly. And so we are lucky because in Australia... We do have Disney Plus where we can watch Pixar films the same day as the rest of the world. Yeah, exactly. And I think maybe with Onward we had a little delay, but Soul was released on the same day worldwide. Yeah. And even now, even though we have theatrical releases still happening in Australia, um, they're available to rent online as a premium access, usually within about three weeks of being in the cinema. Yeah. Which is great.
1: That's fantastic.
0: um, You know, not great for cinemas and the theaters, Mm. um, but it is great to fight piracy. Yeah, exactly. There, there are options out there.
1: But I think cinemas have, and I think we've talked about this before. Cinemas have really ceased to be the old fashioned cinemas long before this. Yeah, cinemas are now the same as a restaurant. You know what I mean? It's an event. Yes. Um, it's not basically very rarely other nerds going to there anymore. Yep. Um, it's an event. Play. It's something to do with your family. It's something to take popcorn to. It's something to yep. do all that. You know what I mean? In those days of basically going there to watch which a, a two bit bloody independent film
0: is why it's it's why though. Remember Grady Union Cinemas? Yeah, which is an Australian company. They changed their name too. Event cinemas, yeah, because they got it. That the shift was moving from, oh, what are we going to do tonight? We'll just go to the movies, yeah. It started becoming a special tree, yeah, exactly. Again. And and they really are. I love event cinemas because I think they put a lot of effort into making sure everything
1: is sort of a think, bit special. I think they need to keep and keep doing that, and that's how cinemas will win, yeah, because it used to be like that. Yeah, you know, totally. When you, were, when you were younger it used to be like that. But uh, totally. Then, and then suddenly everyone wanted to be independent and and that was the rise of dandy at the time. Yeah, and, that's true. And um and all these things and that but now it's part, it's shimmered back. But it's it does show that well, it doesn't. There was fears that independent films would get lost in the haze. But I don't think so anymore.
0: No, I don't think so either. I actually think that streaming services boost independent films. Plus
1: I also think the viewers of these types of independent films are a lot more savvy. That's very um, true. I think you're basically, if it's not on Netflix, there's always places that they can actually view these types of yeah, films. Yeah, totally. And, you know what I mean? Without uh, going to piracy.
0: Cinemas in Australia have also started becoming quite... Savvy again. The Ritz have their own streaming service. Yep. Uh, event cinemas have their own streaming service at the moment, where you can rent movies or or see Fantastic. things. Fantastic. So I think there are there are far more avenues to have legal watchings of films definitely than in
1: the past. And which, I hundred percent agree. With which, go legit. Yeah. Be too legit to quit.
0: Just rent something for three bucks. It's exactly. Three bucks.
1: K-19 cost me three ninety nine. I yeah. regret three dollars of it still rented it
0: so craig do you want to hear what was released in 2009 tell me more
1: tell me more
0: the number one film for 2009 it's actually 2009 is our biggest year for films that we've talked about on the podcast oh so it just seems to be that year that most directors have released a film in two thousand nine. fantastic uh so james cameron releases avatar
1: Oh,
0: the number two film is Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince,
1: which I like is
0: that one. the. It's actually I think it's a really fun one. It's where David Yates really starts putting yeah. his mark on the on the series. I think. Um, also, it's the film I think that it's you, a little
1: bit lighter than it after is. Alfonso just. It's not Alfonso.
0: Alfonso Cuarón did the third one, so I think we're at Four. six. Here. Six Half Blood Prince is six. So who did five? Four was Mike Newell. Five was David Yates.
1: Oh, the five was Yates. Yates. Okay, cool.
0: And I think Half-Blood Prince is really important because I think it's the moment where the young actors, you Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, all those Mm. guys, they're actually, it's a nature to them. Yeah. As opposed to having to try. And I think that ease comes along. Daniel Radcliffe is so funny in this movie. The moment that he gets the liquid luck and then he goes off and has that beautiful moment with, I love the the professor. I wish I could remember his name. He's such a great actor, um, an English actor. He's always sort of a bit uh, of an eccentric sort yeah. of professor. But that moment where the spiders died and Hagrid's really upset and they have the sort of wake for the thing. Daniel Radcliffe is so good in that moment and funny. Basically being drunk, you know, but it's such a good film. I really that's it's one of my favorites, Half Blood prints. I love it so much. Number three was Ice Age: Dawn of Dinosaurs. Woo! Love it. Number four was Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen. Okay, That's the second one. We went to did the we premiere that? for that one. Oh, uh, did we? It's the one with. Uh, oh, that was a wrecking weird ball the weird Bondi premiere. Yeah, that was the Bondi premiere. Oh, yes. With yes. um, yeah.
1: And that girl, the blonde girl. Who Isabel was in Lucas. The, yeah, who was in it for like two minutes. Yep.
0: She was there.
1: She showed up for like two
0: minutes. I remember we got in trouble because we were sitting in a chair and she was entering. Do you remember that? No. We had been at the party. There was a, uh, this is la up, but Craig and I were at a VIP party. Yeah. yeah. And instead of being like, oh, sick, VIP party, let's go meet some famous people. <laughs> we ate some food. <laughs> drank food, man. Drank some f- drinks. And then we're just like, oh, man, this party's got nowhere to sit. (laughs) And we went and found a seat towards the front of the venue. And I remember security guards came over and said, hey, you guys have got to move. And we're like, why? They're like, just get out of there and move. (laughs) Was it me being argumentative? (laughs) No, it was weird. We were just like, this is so strange. We just want to sit down. And then when we got up and sort of started moving, Isabel Lucas showed up at the party. And so it was almost like this don't sit there, you're going to be looking straight at her when she walks in, sort of thing. And it was a really interesting uh, moment. how skinny she was, man. Yeah, she was
1: super skinny. Super skinny, eh? Um, Also released. Like the Ed Sheeran clip. (laughs) The Ed Sheeran clip? She was in the Ed Sheeran clip. What? Uh, She was in that, uh, oh, what's, it's one of his most famous songs. Really? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm trying to sing this song now. Uh, it's, It's not Lego House. It's, oh man. Lego
0: House is the one that's got Rupert Grint, actually. Yeah, yeah. Throw yeah. back to Harry Potter. Yeah, I
1: know. He, who, 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 with his first check, bought an ice cream truck. Did he? Yeah, bought an ice cream truck. Rupert tr- Grint. St- yeah, he still has it fully stocked. And sometimes <laughs> when he when he's bored, he'll go out and just give kids free ice creams and shit.
0: Oh, what a legend. <laughs> I know. It's like, even though that's a bit scary. Can, but hey. can I tell a funny Ed Sheeran story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw this interview with him where they talked about how, um, Ed Sheeran had not really had a lot of money growing up. So, he's in a place where he's quite comfortable now, yeah. obviously, because he's Ed Sheeran. And um, so, he's like, oh, yeah, I'd been set up on a date. Oh, and so, I went out with this girl and I took her back to my house. And he's like, I take her back to my house. And then I see I just bought this amazing Lego set. And all I've wanted to do for like a week is build this Lego set. <laughs> and so, he takes this girl home. And builds the Lego set. (laughs) And so this girl comes home with Ed Sheeran and all he wants to do is build the Lego set. And someone says, what Lego set was it? And he's like, oh, it was the Pirates of the Caribbean ship. (laughs) And so he literally spent all night building this Lego set while this girl sat around and in the end, she just asked if she could go home. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, there you go. Yeah. Money can't buy your happiness. Are you going to go me? Unless it's Lego. <laughs> <laughs> so the number five film for 2009 was a little disaster flick called
1: 2012. Oh, I saw that the other day. In the
0: mythology of all things from first to last, this film. Ah, uh,
1: 2012. Man, I heard John Cusack, man. I love him as an actor. John Cusack is a great actor. No, Same. I always think of that movie where they had the, and they had this, wouldn't happen today, but the, they they all did this coordination and it all ended up like being these gigantic boats in China. Yes. Mm. <laughs> so strange, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Pixar's Up was released at
0: number six. Oh, man. I just, beautiful uh, film. Yeah. Number seven, speaking of beautiful films, Twilight New Moon. Ooh! Which one's that? The second one, which, if I remember rightly, ah, oh, in honesty, I don't remember it. I don't have anything more to say. About yeah, exactly. It. I was just
1: trying to think too. I think it's I the think one I where they're now dating.
0: One. They're now dating, and
1: then no, did Jacob comes into that one, I think, uh, and she meets the wolf
0: pack and all that stuff. Uh, ah, yes, yes, I remember. There and there's go. no
1: shirts, even though it looks cold. That's
0: it. Looks freezing it's there. Freezing, man. And those guys, and you see, poor. Poor little Why Taylor. Don't like <laughs> <That's
1: right>. Why <laughs> they don't they shiver like Why dogs? Why don't
0: they? Why uh, don't they? Number eight, Guy Ritchie's Sherlock Holmes was released.
1: Man, seriously, um, totally off topic. I can't wait for Guy Ritchie's Wrath of Man. Me either. I just. Was, like, uh, Statham, looks fantastic. Do you want to see
0: it this week, Craig?
1: Is it out this week? Yeah, it's out now. Came oh. out last night. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Tuesday. No.
0: All right, cool. Number nine, we've talked about this film on the podcast already in the Ron Howard season. It was Angels and Demons. Ew.
1: Yeah, good. We had a good
0: time good, talking about yeah, that. Man, film.
1: I liked I liked Angels and Demons. His best uh, Robert Langdon film. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And he's and it was just visually as beautiful. It's yeah, just, it was. It's just him touching at a place that he did really well, but I'm just like, well, Why'd you stop?
0: Yeah, I agree. And it's it I think it felt his most international film. I it was love very Ron
1: Howard to go dark, man. Me too. I'd love for him to go dark. Me too.
0: Number 10 was The Hangover. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, some other films that we've talked about from 2009 is Robert Zemeckis' A Christmas Carol.
1: Yep. Motion Did capture. Us. Yeah, we've got a cut. Car- yeah, Carter and I got to watch that. Zack Snyder released Watchmen. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, man. what a film. Love what
0: a movie. film. Sam Raimi released Drag Me to Hell.
1: Another good film. Another <laughs> it was good a good film.
0: film. Uh, edited by Bob morowski Oh, really? Yep. Oh, Same oh, editor. Oh, oh. Also released in there. I'm going to run through a few. J.J. Abrams released Star
1: Trek. That was fantastic. It was a good fantastic. film. Fantastic. It was a great film. Uh, Got the photo of Ruby Rose at the premiere. Yes,
0: that's right. Yeah, that's Before that. she
1: was nothing more than a DJ. Yeah, and now she's just this European villain. Yeah, popping up in films. Popping all these strange. European isn't films. It? Yeah. It's like she's just trying it's like, to What do we do with her? She's got tattoos. <laughs> seriously, we'll get one day she's gonna get into a, a boss fight with Mila Hochovich. Oh yeah. She'll be in one of those Anderson ass films. Yep.
0: Totally I'm sure. Uh, Spike Jones made Where the Wild Things
1: Are. Oh, man. Love that film. I, yeah, that still just hurts me, man. Oh, it's an emotional nut it's kick, isn't it? It's a fantastic film. It's just seriously Totally underrated. Yep. And soundtrack. Carinoe. I fucking love you. Karen o is phenomenal, Craig. Inglourious Bastards was released. Yeah. I totally underestimated that film. It's and every time I watch it, I love it more. Yep, me more too. And
0: more. It's funny because uh, I think I've said it before on the podcast, but the ending where he goes, you know, I think this is my masterpiece. I think he may be I right. I think
1: Tarantino
0: knows. It I doesn't get much yeah, better than I this. I don't think
1: that. I haven't. Yeah, that's my favorite. One of my favorites.
0: Yeah, I really it's like. it. It's hard to say, but yeah, no, I'd say it's my favorite. It's such a great film. If you can get such great. I hate Eli Roth. Well, he gets a good performance out of him though. Yeah,
1: true. Good point. So it's like. I hate him. His eyes look like. He's actually his eyes look like he's been animated by Robert Zemeckis during those
2: years. You notice that he's, he's just, a motion
1: capture. Yeah, he's a motion capture face. His eyes are just dead, <laughs> like so much. Not coke, I would say, what's a sleepy drug? <laughs> <laughs> a roofie's a roofie drug. You know what I mean? Well, it was a roofie, it was um hangover. Why don't you yeah. just call them rapies?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I'll pump through a few because
0: we are having a great chat about this film so far. Are we talking about
2: this film? <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right. Which film are we talking about? Uh, we're talking about Hurt Look, Michael Mann released Public Enemies. Cool. There, it was I Love You, Man with Paul Rudd and Jason Segel. great film. Such I can't always think film. about that
1: every time I go to an open house.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it smells like farts. It smells like farts. <laughs> um the very controversial X-Men Origins Wolverine was released.
1: Oh, very controversial, man.
0: With oh. the old claws, oh, those man. silver Paces claws. And a reviewer who got in a poop ton of trouble
1: for pirating a copy hilarious. and reviewing it. What a hilarious dope. I remember that.
0: State of Play was released with Russell Crowe and Ben Affleck. It. Fantastic. Neil Gaiman's Coraline was made by Leica. One of the most famous. Fantastic films ever. I oh, know you love that one, Craig. Terrifying. You love it. Uh, um, Terminator Salvation was released. Which one's that?
1: That's, That's one. the That's one with Sam w- Worthington. That's one where he went off on set. Yeah,
0: McGee made it. Christian Bale went bonkers. Actually, props to McGee. It's not a bad film. It's not a all. bad film. I just at think all.
1: Worthington ruins it. It's hard. He's just not got the chops, does he? Oh, he's just. Sometimes he's just too Aussie. Yep. Works good for Avatar. Looks, like, but like, I think he he has a beautiful look about the him. The
0: aesthetic of the
1: film yeah. is perfect. And, but also, like, Worthington has a beautiful, like,
0: Oh, sp- yeah, yeah. Acting. He's got, he's got he the... He looks like a superstar. He does, doesn't he? Looks Just like he opens a, his mouth. Yep.
1: Yeah. It's a shame. It is a shame.
0: It's a shame. I did hear a funny I interview. I love the
1: Eric, Eric Banner in that. Yes, yes. Even he struggles with an accent. Well, when he tries to go too far.
0: Yeah, he pushes it a bit at times, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, Ridley Scott was that. Ridley Scott one um, Black Hawk down. down, but that was in his defence. I think that's his first big role. Yeah, in man. a US like film, a mouthful of tests. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> also released was Zombieland.
1: Loved it. Yeah, that was my so surprise of that year. That was my most surprise.
0: Or the awesome um, Sam Rockwell film Moon by Duncan oh, Jones. A
1: Such this. a great film. And 500 Days of Summer. Oh, fantastic, man. I love I remember coming out of that film just you away. You loved
0: it. You were blown away. You gushed over that one, Oh, but it you? was
1: just such a happy film, man. Oh, well, actually, it really isn't a happy film, but it was just the way it was directed. It was yep. just a guy who just... Uh, Mark Webb had his signature just all, yeah. all through it, you know what I mean? And it was such a unique voice. Yep. And I don't know what he's done now.
0: I, what was I his last film actually? He had quite a break after the S- amazing Spider-Man films. Yeah, uh, let me have a little look in here, Craig. I'll, I'll just bring it up now so we can we can see what Mark Webb's up to. But I feel like he did do something. Yeah, um, like he oh in oh, more his, recent years. His
1: Spider-Man movies. Here good. we go. His Spider Man movies were good. I
0: really like his Spider Man films. Same. Uh, he did, so following the Spider Man films, he did an episode, a couple episodes of the TV series Limitless. Did you see the TV version I never of Limitless? Watched the TV show. It wasn't too bad. Um, he did a couple episodes of the TV show Crazy Ex Girlfriend, which I think a few people I know have thought that was really funny. Yep. He's done a film called Gifted with Chris Evans. Uh huh. Um. Oh, uh, the it's one a with single man raising his child prodigy niece Mary, yeah, And yeah. is drawn into a custody battle. Oh, so battle. he directed that. He directed oh, that. I thought Chris Evans. Said. Uh, he also re- released a film called The Only Living Boy in New York. Yep. Uh, so it was two films in the one year that started. Um, Kate Beckinsdale and Pierce Brosnan were in that one. Oh, cool. Uh, then he's gone on to do a lot of television after that. And oh, really? Actually, all television after that. So, he's worked on a TV series called Instinct. He did one episode there. Uh, the Code, The Society for Netflix, Why Women Kill, and a TV show called Rebel, which is the Katie Siegel uh, uh, TV yes, series. Yes, yes,
1: yes, which is the one where she plays Ara Brockovich.
0: Yeah. Say so he did an episode of that as well. Uh, just having a look at what he's got coming out in the future. Stack of stuff in development, um, but really nothing listed straight off the bat. Some more TV series. Uh, there's a Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs Is he in film. Directors Jar. He could be in a little bit, I think, Craig, because mm. I know that it was really. Um, it was really hard after the Spider-Man film because he copped a lot of criticism for those films. I didn't I, didn't I really see the enjoyed criticism them. in it,
1: man. I love those films.
0: And that first one especially, that end sequence above the tower is so beautifully directed where it's like that blue snow's yeah. falling around it. Far out. He's working on a live-action um, adaptation of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. In pre-production, what? there's doesn't, already been two films of that. Doesn't say if this is a Disney one though. You know how uh, Disney are doing Mulan yeah. and everything else under the sun. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's Mark mm-hmm. Webb's mm-hmm. there. So I, I hope cool. Mark Webb gets out of. I hope show he does well. Yeah, there there's
1: good films. He he does good films.
0: So Craig, that's the journey to film for Hurt Locker. Journey. That's 2009 in a nutshell. Cool, that was a good year. So. For those people at home, Craig, who may have seen the film, may not have seen it, maybe, just need a quick refresher on what it's all about, let's just take a moment, let's just hear about it.
1: During the Iraq War, a sergeant recently assigned to an army bomb squad is put at odds with his squad mates due to his maverick way of handling his work. This Academy Award winning film is a character study loaded with tension and incredible performances. Let's talk about... The Hurt Locker, so good, Craig. Now we talk about this every single week.
0: When was the last time you watched this film? Ages ago.
1: Ages, at least four years, five
0: years. Okay. Yeah. When did it come out again? Uh, two thousand and nine. It came out in cinemas. I probably.
1: <laughs> 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 Are you proud of
0: that was
1: it. Around then. So you probably watched it in cinemas. Yeah, well, I watched it in cinemas. Watched it when I bought it on probably DVD. Then probably watched it when I bought it on Blu-ray. Yeah, okay. And that's it. Interesting. I know, it, like no reason. It's just, I guess it it was never a movie that I was just like, man, I'm in the mood for some Hurt Locker. <laughs> it is funny, isn't it? It's well, it's
0: we'll get into it a bit more. But there's so much in this film. Like when you think about the two-hour film, it's really – I was surprised by how many moments there were. Yeah. I I think I remembered previously thinking that there was more space between things. No. But this is like
1: you're on a roller coaster the whole time. Very, very in your face. It is, isn't it? Very, very in your face.
0: Um, Yeah, I was having a little think about when my last time was. I've probably watched it. Yeah, considering that it's twenty twenty one now, yeah. um, which is crazy to say, I've probably watched it like maybe two or three times. Cool. Um, was last since time it was it? released, I think it was probably it was probably when I got it on Blu Ray. Yeah, uh, I remember seeing it in cinemas and loving it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've watched it once or twice on Blu Ray since, which is probably I'd probably say it was. Um, you know, probably twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen ish mm. was when I last watched it. Probably when zero, actually, probably when Zero Dark Thirty was coming out. I probably watched it in the lead up to that. Oh, cool. Because hey, I remember being like so stoked that Zero Dark Thirty was coming out um, that I chased it. You know, it was like I'm going to watch it so I can get into it, get into it all. Um, so I guess Craig, thinking about you know your memories of the film, thinking about how the season's been so far and the little s- sort of slump that
1: maybe Bigelow's work could be in.
0: What do you expect from the film going in?
1: I was expecting, like, I remember being so damn impressed by watching, when I first watched the film, um. and I ex- didn't expect much to change. Um, I expected it to be... Uh, I, I, I remember there were some parts being a little bit, like, very dark, Yep. Um, I guess I'm a little bit more desensitized now, so yeah, it just wasn't as dark as I remembered it. Yep. Um, but I still got the same. Oh well, even more appreciation watching it again.
0: Yeah, so crazy, isn't it? I I agree. We probably have been desensitized. I th- I feel like Hurt Locker had moments that you know this may have been one of the first times that those moments happened yeah exactly and therefore we see it so often in tv shows and things like that now but hurt like a really sort of again it's probably that visceral reaction you have to moments Mm.
1: which bigelow is so good at getting out of you actually i think one of the reasons i got i hadn't watched this since because i was a little bit turned off by jarhead yeah, okay. So I was, you know what, we got to that phase where we are just like, oh, fuck, is every Iraq film going to just be just these, just dudes? Yeah. And for some reason, I think I added a little bit of that onto her, like, but it's nothing, yeah. It's so interesting you mentioned that though, Craig, because there was a season, people were quite
0: hesitant to um, finance this film mm. because they actually call it Iraq fatigue. Yeah, and so there were so many films about it, and it was. there was so much media attention around the Iraq War um, that people were starting to become fatigued. So they were really concerned that this film wasn't going to be financially viable because we'd reached the point of too much. And so, um, yeah, it's interesting that you say that because you know you do have Jarhead in the lead up to this. You've got David O. Russ, David O. Russell's Three Kings. Love that um, movie. I love that movie. Um, and and so it's interesting. I've only seen Jarhead once. I remember Hall was a powerhouse in it. I remember. I remember yeah. the pacing was
1: interesting. I think But it's, I'd
0: love to watch it through a Sam
1: Mendes lens. From memory, he, he hit the notes that you wanted to feel about it, that it was a boring war. Yeah. Um Like for most Yeah, you know, yeah Like yeah. for just For jarheads yeah. You know what I mean For the infantry guys It was just a boring war Because most of it Had already been won By the time they got there Yeah And he hit that at home So well That you were just Fucking bored shitless By the end of it as well. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean Like it's It's Sam Mendes You know Anything yeah. you see on the screen Is not a mistake Yeah Um. And so Yeah it was just, <laughs> And it turned me off a bit It turned me off a bit
0: Um Thinking what I was expecting, though, Craig, I was a bit worried about the film, to be honest. Yep. Um, Not that I had my doubts with Bigelow's abilities, but I guess when I went into this season, going from The Loveless to Blue Steel to Point Break, mm-hmm. oh, and Near Dark's yeah. in there as well, I started thinking, you know what? If we keep getting quality jumps... Yeah. Like this. We're going to have a master. And then you get into your Strange Days, Weight of Water, K-19, where you still see glimpses of a great director in there, but doesn't quite hit it. Yeah. I was really concerned that this probably wouldn't be as powerful a film as it was the first time I watched it. I remember walking out of the cinema and just being like, holy moly, this was something special. Yeah. And... I was just concerned that now watching this under the Bigelow lens, that I'd be like, "I'm not sure. Maybe this was a. I guess maybe I was concerned that this was one of those Academy Award-winning films that was just exciting for that
1: year. There, there was a heaps around this time. Yes, you know, like I guess let's say the English Patient. Yep, and you know, there's even Crash to it. Even Crash. Wait, it's not those films that you revisit often. That's right. And then, and when you revisit them, you just go, ooh, that was a really a product of its time. Yes, and that's
0: what I was really concerned about mm. this film, uh, knowing that the Iraq War had developed so much fatigue around it um, and the way it was covered. Uh, and I was also concerned that, that just this wouldn't feel like Bigelow. Yeah. Again, thinking the jump from K-19 to to Hurt Locker, there's the military story you can see is bubbling away there. Yeah, Bigelow's want to tell a true story and tell it without feeling prejudice against the Russians' uh, sailors. Uh, I could see that was it, but I was really worried that we were going to get this film and it just wouldn't be as good as I remembered it. Thankfully, it
1: is a great film. (laughs) It's a great film. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's one of those films that I think has gotten better over time. Definitely. Um, watching it now, I'll re-watch it at a at a better pace than I have before. Yep. Um, it's basically, I appreciate more the cast wrapped around it. Um, Definitely. Jeremy Renner is oh. fantastic. It's, you know. Um, you know, so is old Captain America, old Sam Wilson there. Yep. Um, Anthony Mackie is Sam so Wilson. good in this film. <laughs> yeah, I know, so good. I love Anthony Mackie. He's so good in this, and it is. It's it, they're they're such a good combination of just. Great talent, and then, but also, like you were saying earlier, the pace is a lot. It was a surprise to me. The pace was a lot quicker. Yeah. Then I remembered it as well. Like there were some scenes that I totally forgot about, like the, the um, sniper scene. Sniper scene. How good um, is it? It's fantastic. You know what I mean? Like obviously, some of the guys, the bomb experts, go look. You know, it's never that exciting, but they had to fill out the movie. Yeah. And I that's understandable completely. You know, to say that you're a bomb expert one moment, then you're a sniper expert the next. But the way they ran through it was fantastic. But what I love, and,
0: you know, if we were really to break that scene down, yeah. the the thing that I love in that moment is the way that it's a high-pressure situation. Yep. They had had so much tension in the group. So when you think they're really not coping with the way um, Jeremy Renner's character is yep. behaving and acting through all this, Mackie and Garrity is their their characters are so ready just to get home. We get that countdown throughout the, yeah. the film. So they just want to survive. You know, let's get the job done and go home so we can be home in 20 days. Yeah. You know, those sorts of things. But in that moment, there's such care for his teammates by Renner. Yeah. You know, he's there just supporting Anthony Mackie the whole time, getting the juice putting the thing in it, giving it to him. You know, those moments that you're like, oh, wow. And, you know, you forget that they really have to make sure that there's no other threats out there.
1: Yeah, exactly. They have to make sure that the person, they're they're just outlasting the other sniper. Yeah. (laughs) And
0: it's seriously, the way it's shot as well, again, it's so like you are almost desensitized to it, the violent nature of that, you know, watching the bullet fly off. And then suddenly, someone just like just explodes.
1: Yeah, this is a puff. I'm yeah, afraid. yeah. It's so well shot, and then she runs straight into the next scene where it's very much. And it's one of those things that um I picked up obviously, and this I think we've spoke about this before, but it's funny with a female director, um, that Catherine Bigelow is able to so appropriately, um. View masculinity Yes And the toxic masculinity Yeah So you see the Um Parts And those two scenes Are a good Are a good mix So the scene with the snipers Where you see them Actually come to that bonding Yes And then they almost Have to Unbond Um in that toxic masculinity yes. way of just beating into each other, yeah, um, in and drinking afterwards, To death metal, you know, yeah, all that to big, death yes. metal and all that shit, you know what I mean? And 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 she's able to, and she does this, she does she she does the same juxtaposition in um Point Break as well, yes. Obviously, you see it all through K nineteen, yeah. You know, there's the there's the healthy male relationships and there's the unhealthy male relationships, yeah. And I think. The benefit of her being a female director watching this is she has that um, objectivity um, to actually view the both sides I of that and actually it. put it on there properly. Yeah. Whereas some men, a male director would, unless they were very much in charge of their own masculinity, would not probably go to those areas. No. That you would actually And actually see that part of it as well. And in it, the vulnerability that's shown
0: at yeah. times by the men. Yeah actually draws you into the characters far more. Then let's imagine if Zack Snyder directed this film. Yeah. We would glorify the bomb technicians. Yep. We would probably be cheering USA a few times. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, very it, true. It would be It would be a glorification. Again, I can't help but think about, you know, the way Michael Bay directs. Yeah. And he would tackle a topic like this in a totally different way where it's all about the fact that Jeremy Renner probably was Captain America. Yeah. When really I love the story acts aspect of this, hmm. which is the idea that for Renner, he just wants more and more of this. You know, he doesn't he doesn't know
1: life outside of the the adrenaline junkie in a sense. Heaps of people Talk a lot about it It's because um, And especially returning from war And it's true You see him return from war And he's in this And he's um, Jeremy Renner In Iraq Is well, Jeremy Renner's character Is a guy who's done 870 <laughs> yeah. know, in in he's just a redneck When he gets home Yep You know what I mean He's just a redneck Picking out cereal You know And there's And there's no and and a lot of these PTSDs is surrounded by a lot of these and homeless guys because they can't find that peace or that um, sense of um, achievement or anything once yes. they get home. Yeah, and I also find I remember reading up about it too uh, is that they can't in Iraq they used to have to travel every ten meters they'd have to stop and check everything. Yeah, well, wow. in it in um, when they got home a letterbox there was just a letterbox. Yeah. Well, a letterbox is a threat yes. in Iraq, you know what I mean? A can or a bunch of, you know, even just something on the ground was just, it, it was a threat. And, and you couldn't, and it was hard for these bomb specialists and even just jihads to untrain their mind to see threats everywhere when they're back in suburbia. Yeah, wow.
0: I, I was a bit surprised by that, the return to home in my mind, was a longer part of the film. Yeah, same. So that was over very quickly. It was. For his return. Um, So I was surprised by that. I I felt like, you know, again, that serial scene is so interesting to me because he's looking at, to me, I see him looking at it all and it's this massive row of just options. Yeah, exactly. And he lives in a world where he's told what he's eating. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so it's like, oh man, this is so overwhelming. I know what I do. Every day I get up, I d the sound bombs, yeah, I go to sleep. But in the real world, you know, that beautiful scene where he's talking to his child mm.
1: and he's like, Sometimes you love things. Yeah. But then you realise
0: maybe you don't.
1: Yeah, and there are just some things that you just can't help but love. Yeah.
0: And basically sorta of, Saying, "I'm gonna choose war over my
1: family," <laughs> and then a, str- and and then it plays it, but that ties in directly to the quote of, you know, it's an addiction. Yeah, um, that war is an addiction, and that is an almost satirical. That leads into an almost satirical hero scene. Yes, sequence at the end where he comes back to Iraq, and then he's in his suit and he's walking through, and it's the whole slow mo, and he's. Yep. He's literally swaggering, yeah, down that um Iraq, Iraqi street yeah, to it's a bomb. Like he got the hit. He's home. Yeah, he's home. <laughs> he's where he exists on the cusp. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Love it so much. Craig, can we talk
0: the opening of the film?
1: Groovy. The guy of the Pierce film, is amazing, role.
0: Guy Pierce. He's only in this for such a short time, but he has such a
1: presence. Oh, he could just be an extra and doesn't walk through he? And just get,
0: he you just well the moment he's there, you're like, oh, that's right, guy's here, and you're just like so happy. And this is a big time guy. Pierce is really he starts his career
1: really gets a resurgence here. This is his, um, this is this is that period where um, they're embracing his him as a character actor. Yes, the same they're doing with Ben Mendelsohn. Yes, over the past five years, totally. You know what I mean? Um, they're embracing him as that. You know, he's that actor that will throw him in a... And Tony Collette. Yeah. Well, you know, this is about the same time as Tony Yeah, Collette. yeah. They'll throw him in a series. Throw him, They'll always be the lead of a series or, yep. or or an extra... Or a pivotal character in a film. Yeah. Um, a MacGuffin character in a film and, based, and it'll add gravity. And you know, it's like Michael Caine's career now. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, Michael Caine's totally. just meant to come in there, do some wisdom... Maybe you betray her. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Occasionally be a villain. Yeah, occasionally, yeah.
0: Um, and Guy Pearce is coming off the back of, I believe, the film before this was Count of Monte Cristo. <laughs> Love that film <laughs> so much. Um, and he goes on to be in, I think he was the villain in Bedtime Stories with Adam Sandler. Oh, yeah. Really quite a lot of really
1: versatile sort of roles. I was it's, watching Teresa Palmer today.
0: It's a lot of fun.
1: Um, we're talking about uh, how we met her. Yes. <laughs> Again. A good run for Cinephiles around this yes, time, that wasn't it? was a it? good run. Yeah,
0: we were. But the tension built in that scene, you get all sorts of things. There's the dark humour that is very present in roles such as law enforcement. Yeah. You know, military, which is the the wagon brakes that's taking the bombs out. And they're like, thank you, you know, yeah. what would you expect from the army? You know, yeah. and it's not even a, oh, gosh... We're in trouble here. But the whole guy Pierce going out to disarm a bomb and then they see the person, the butcher in the shop. Oh, the tension built in that scene
1: is so strong. Like it's. And it's such a. And it brings together a horrible reality for these. Yes. um, For these poor bastards. Like that guy talking to. Geraghty talking to the um, psychologist, the psychiatrist. Or so yeah. Afterwards going, just just loading his gun. Bang, I saved him. Yeah. No, I didn't. Click, bang, I saved him. You know what I mean? And, yep. and it is, it comes down to a matter of a split decision.
0: And he's faced again then later in the film with that same decision. Do it? I take the shot? Do I not? And he does. And you see that that was someone who.
1: And yeah. Ren is very supportive. Yeah. What do you believe, man? Yeah, do you believe it's something you need to do?
0: And I think I love the fact that sometimes it doesn't matter what situation you are in life. There are just people who are so good at what they do, they're born leaders. Yeah. They don't necessarily be a leader, but you can't help but then be a leader. And the moment that Renner enters the platoon or the, or the unit, you feel he is the leader.
1: Despite the fact, fact that it's actually th- Anthony Mackie, I think Garrity sums it up perfectly, and we saw it in the trailer. Yeah, I don't think so much. He's a good leader. He's inspiring. Yes, and he's gonna, but he's gonna kill them all. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. And I yeah. think that's perfect because he, 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 I think he's right. He's so amazing at what he does. Yeah, but it makes him a bad leader because you can't do what he naturally can. Yes. You know what I mean? It's and he's that natural. He's that natural bomb disposal. His yep. instincts in bomb disposal would be amazing. Yeah, and you can see why because he studies these things. He sits. Yep. There's a scene where he sits and just stares at a trigger. Yeah, where he just under he just understands what is what is yes. happening and what he's built. But when it comes to dealing with the people around him, obviously, he gets he pretty much gets one shot. Yeah. Um. He almost gets Anthony Mackey killed. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, he's inspiring, but he's going to get him killed. Yeah. That's a perfect summary of him. He's
0: chasing the high all the time. Yeah. And that's the big problem. And
1: again, we we see
0: moments of that. This is a very Bigelow thing, I feel, because we get moments of that in Point Break, chasing the high. Yep, We get moments of it in Strange Days through that horrible... Um, Tom Sizemore's character, where he's, you know, constantly chasing at the high again, even with Ray Fines, yep. he's chasing the high of selling the dreams. And so there is a recurring theme starting to pop up in a few of Bigelow's exactly. films. Exactly. And I think it's masculinity.
1: Yes. I and love it. The facade of it. Yep. You know what I mean? And, you know, without going obviously too deep into all, all of it, but she's able to, she's showing all these different aspects of it. Yes. You know what I mean The healthy The unhealthy Yeah You know the fantasy You know which you see More of the fantasy Of the masculinity In Like the sexual Masculinity Within Strange Days Yep And then you see The whole point of Loyalty Like if I were to say The most The best leader You would see In most of these films So far In a masculine In a masculine fashion Yep um, Would be Liam Neeson
0: Yes In K-19 Yeah in K-19 so good, Craig.
1: Mm. So good.
0: Um going back to the bomb with Guy Pierce. Yep. Uh I I really do love the way that the scene is set and the way that Bigelow prepares it all mm. uh builds tension in such a way. What is done in that moment and especially with spoiler spoiler, if you haven't watched Hurt Locker, we're about People to drop a hurt. big spot. People get injured. Injured in a locker. Guy Pierce's death in that moment and the decision that Garrity's gotta make, mm. which is do I kill the butcher? He might be a threat, he might not be, leading to the bomb exploding too close to Guy Pierce. Um but straight away the film the stakes of the film are set. Yeah. We know straight off the bat that there's no messing around here. And do you reckon Snyder's watching her? Go-
1: I like how those rocks float up.
0: Oh man. The the slow motion used in this it's is bad. so darn
1: good. The way she illustrates an explosion is so new to Hollywood. Yes. Um it's realistic, obviously. That's yep. where I think the the realism that we were talking that you were talking about earlier. I think that's where it sits because it's not fire and brimstone yeah it's all basically impact and force. yes um you know what I mean and so and you know percussion and you see basically the um the the ground move the, yeah the the, the, broken the car rush gets shattered sh- 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 off, off the, the car oh. yeah and he it's, dies and it's funny that um, guy Pierce's character dies not by miss he, he doesn't die by um, a mistake no Guy Pearce's character dies, if nothing, by luck. He's the same distance away as Jeremy Renner is later. Yeah, but
0: can I say something I picked up on, Craig, is the next time we see the bomb suit being put on is when Jeremy Renner's going to the back of that car. Yep. And the suit is different. Oh, is it?
1: Yeah, so it's a totally different suit. Guy I assume Pearson. so because I'm, it, it penetrated through the back of his head. That's exactly right, and
0: so the first time we see I that suit, wear a being suit being put put on, died in. Fuck that. Well, the suit is very old that you see Guy Pearce is wearing. Oh, it's is a it? real okay. faded green. Oh, okay. So it's almost like his maybe it was suit. his lucky suit, you know. <laughs> but when it's next put on a Jeremy Renner, we watch they put the jacket on. The something jacket. Um, Something, something. But it has that giant flap slash collar that then connects to the helmet, which was not present for Guy Pearce. Um, Wow, good eyes, And so watching it, I'm like, wow, they've actually identified what killed him Mm -hmm. and put things in place to ensure that doesn't happen again. Mm -hmm. And later on, the same instance sort of happens to Jeremy Renner. The explosion goes off Mm. and he's still quite injured. Yeah. Um, Just by the force of it. By the sheer force, which is why they have a bleeding nose, he's got bleeding ears and stuff, because he's been really rattled by this thing. Um, so I did love that that detail's in there, that you go, wow, Bigelow and Mark Bowl are thinking this through yeah. to that degree.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's where I think. That's where I think the consequences in this film, and I think that's where it rings true, is yep. the consequences of all of their actions. Yes. Like not just in the bomb area, but all of their actions ring true in this yep. film. You know what I mean? Like um obviously, you know, the when they go hunting down the people who um in the night, yep. that's a great scene where the three of them yeah. are, are going through the um through the, the streets, through the streets at night and then one of them gets Garrity gets kidnapped and yep. then they they shoot and then they shoot at him and all that. That's great stuff Yeah, it is It's so well done And
0: even I love I'm calling it sort of Renner's descent into madness Yep Which is um, He befriends a young like Basically like a street kid Yeah, a little street vendor Who's selling uh, pirated DVDs Yeah, ironically yeah. Um, And they find themselves later in the, in the film They come across his body yep. Or what they believe is his body um, with a body it, bomb in it. With a bomb inside the kid's body, to Gosh. which is an insanely hard watch when Renna opens the body up, yeah. and has to dig around in there to disarm the bomb inside the body. Um,
1: and really, but that's with, that beautiful—that's that beautiful Bigelow moment where she likes to shock you, yeah. Where she has, totally, she's like, mm, I think you know, I've. Done enough to excite you? Yeah, I'm just gonna make you uneasy. She subverts you. it yeah, so I'm gonna well. Shock you again, playing on our playing on that toxic
0: masculinity it's, thing. It's the blue steel subversion again, yep. which is that moment which suddenly we're like, wow, this is erotic. Yeah, and then she flips the eroticism on a dime yeah, and turns it uh, ugly. Yeah, and I remember in cinemas, the moment you walked in and saw the body there, you're like, "Oh man, they've beat a kid up to death yeah. or tortured a kid," and then you realise, "Oh my gosh, they've made the kid a bomb." Yeah, and it was so in cinemas. I remember the moment he's like opening the body, like cutting the stitches, and then about to he digs around in there. It was so difficult to watch. But what comes from it is, again, these moments where we get such a toxic masculinity, and then you have these moments of humanity. Yeah, in Jeremy Renner's character, where he's now wrapped the body up and he's refusing to just leave it there. He's going to carry it to safety. Yeah,
1: and he's not immune to the to to the people around him.
0: Exactly, exactly. And but then what happens is he gets so he's so emotionally connected, almost like. It's almost as if he views it as a weakness. Yeah. Be, I got I got attached to someone here. Yeah. I what got, was I thinking? I got to do revenge. Yeah, and, and I've got to take revenge on this kid. And he goes out to find the bomb maker. Mm. And that sparks a whole season, uh, not season, like uh, portion of the film that I couldn't help but think this was the moment someone went, Oh yeah, Jeremy Renner would be a great fit for a Bourne film
1: <laughs> It's true It's true I, But I also love that When he runs into that family's house When he's under that Yeah, yeah thing. And he runs And you know, he runs into that man Who's basically like, take a seat Yeah, he and goes, starts making a cup English? of tea He goes, I actually speak three languages I'm yeah. a professor You know what I mean? He goes, sit down, take a seat He goes, you're CIA, aren't you? <laughs> he's like, wow you Again, know, it's a, such moments of humanity Yeah amongst this visceral nature that we're we're in well, for so long. It, it, it she does well in not vilifying Iraq as um or not stereotyping the Iraqi population as someone that needed that that are backward. Yes. You know they're not I mean? savages. Yeah, they're not savages. Yeah. You know, this isn't the this isn't a colonization film. This is just you know, and it and she does that really well.
0: Yeah. I totally agree, Craig. It's so good. And then let's talk at the end of the film when the kid shows up again. <laughs> yeah. Poor kid. I know. And Shout up with the soccer ball. You, you want to play? You want a DVD? <laughs> and the look on his face. I, do you know what's funny? Watching it this time around, I can't remember what my response was previously, but it was almost like I was like, is he, like, hallucinating this? Like, is this real? Because his response was so, he's so upset about it yeah. and so certain that it's the kid. And there's even the moment where Mackie says to him, is
1: it him? Yeah, and they're out the, and he's talking to Garrett. He goes, that's a weird twist. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. are you sure? Out of everyone in Iraq, which is a huge thing, yeah, you know, why would this be the kid that you're talking to on the base?
0: Yeah. Yeah, and again, maybe it's, I'm just thinking out loud now, but maybe it's about he wanted to see the kid there because he needs something more. Yeah. You know, maybe it's becoming mundane in his current tour. He needs something more, which sparks that vengeance moment where he runs off. And again, there's another great moment at the end where that explosion's gone off and they go to, I think it was a bus bomb happen, and they're trying to again before they go off chasing through the streets with leads to garrity getting shot but just watching him process and work through where would someone
1: where would someone hide if they wanted to trigger yeah where would they like to watch it from you know the, the remote device yeah no that's good i like bits like that that was really cool i i think the movie could have done with a little bit more of that Bomb investigation type thing
0: Yeah I think so too and But I
1: guess you don't want to Turn it into a procedural mm. I guess that's the point And props
0: to Bigelow For not taking it there Because again A Hollywood film Would probably make this About Alright Let's analyse the bomb Yeah And he'd be like A Sherlock Holmes That's type exactly thing. right Or there'd be those debriefs Where they sit down And work out Now where do you think So and so would be ruh, 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 yeah. They'll be over here And all that sort of stuff, yeah. Um, and you'd see flickers,
1: you know, as he's imagining things around him.
0: Yeah, that's it? right. <laughs> Little fast forward points and
1: yeah. You know, and there's this huge, um, this huge camera that zooms in on the wire, and it says, "It's most likely from this wire, and it sends a trigger through this one." <laughs> totally, totally,
0: Greg. I'm so glad, but I'm so glad it doesn't go there because what we actually get, it's a character study. It at is a character its, study at its core. Yeah, and where most of Hollywood and this is why I'm so glad that this is an independent film. Is most Hollywood studios would push for this to be a hero piece. Yeah.
1: Um but instead it's a character piece. And you don't you don't at the end of the film you don't see him Jeremy Renner is addicted. I mean as a hero. You see him as addicted. Yeah. You feel sorry for him. Yeah, you do. You go, Oh you poor Bassi, you have to go back out there and do that again.
0: And but yeah. He wants to
1: do it, and you're just like, Man, hey, glad you not me. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I, I'm never, I could never do that. No, exactly. I was telling, I was telling Brooke, there's this is like one of the craziest ass uh, things to ever do in the world. Like, um, in Vietnam, there were people who were called tunnel rats, yeah, and their job was to crawl into the tunnels, the elaborate tunnels of the Vietnamese, with nothing but a friggin'. With nothing but a torch and a and a and a revolver. Yeah. And there was one guy who who went back for three tours. Yep. And I was like, Man. They actually talk about it in. Uh,
0: have you ever watched any of the Harry Bosch stuff? No.
1: Um, I, re- I tried to read one of his books once. I
0: really enjoyed the I book series. I couldn't past it. Uh, but there's one where they talk about the tunnel rats because Harry Bosch's past was that he was. Um, a tunnel rat? No, like in Vietnam and, ah, okay, and cool. dealt with all that sort of stuff. Uh, really good. I I do love... I just want to go back a bit because you can't watch this movie without thinking about other war films. You yeah. know, we've talked about Jarhead, yep. um, which is a good one for our post-watch. I think there are some... Renner really made me feel, especially the scenes where they're drunk, and sort of wrestling around, and the beautiful moment where he talks about this is my box of things that have tried to kill me. Yeah. I really felt Bigelow was, we got, I got a real Martin Sheen vibe from him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that whole apocalypse now where he's descending into his own madness and chaos at the start mm. um, of the film. And again, I couldn't help but think about this film without thinking a bit of um, Three Kings, which I love that film so much. Um, But I think we can't underestimate how good Jeremy Renner is in this film.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Like, I'll be honest, you know, the, the other, like, you know, Anthony Mackie did great. Yes. But... Renner just shines from yeah. this film. Shines.
0: Totally. He he does. And so much so, I think, like, Anthony Mackie is so great in this film. Yeah. But because Renner is so solid, you know, it's just such a shame because you do forget about how good... Even Brian Garrity is Is so good in this film. What's like, he done after this? Oh, let me have a look, Craig. He's, um... I've seen him pop up in other things. He's He's always... Look, this could have been a great death for an extra Craig.
1: No, I I looked at him. I went, nah. Oh, really? Yeah. You were like, nah. Like, nah, nah. Not worth nah, it. Yeah. Sometimes it's gotta grab. Me. I I gotta oh. look that my death of extra choice is. I'd like to know more about that dude. I didn't want to with him. <laughs> well, we have talked
0: about him on this podcast, ironically, but film. I asked this question. Yeah. Just following on from from this here. So, wow, he was really busy post hurt locker. Um, It popped up in a lot of, I wouldn't call them big films, so I'm just going to go past. Had a couple episodes, three-episode run in True Blood. Um, It popped up in Flight with Denzel Washington. Oh, We did have a great time talking that film, didn't we? Uh, Ten episodes in Boardwalk Empire. I really enjoyed Boardwalk Empire. Nine episodes in Ray Donovan. Oh. Um, He has been in a lot of TV, couple of smaller films. Oh, he was in The Alienist. Oh, really? Played Theodore Roosevelt in The Alienist TV show. Cool, cool. cool. Uh, he was in Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile, the oh, Zac, yeah, Efron, Zac-, Zac Efron film. Uh, film. He has been in Chicago PD for 47 episodes. Oh, wow. Chicago Fire for nine. Because they're cross-episodes? Is in the new series of The Fugitive. Oh, really? Yep. So he's in 14 episodes of that. He's got a film called Blindfire that was out last year. He was the lead in that. And uh, upcoming projects. Nothing really listed there. He's in uh, Disney's, I think it's Big Sky, the Ryan Felipe TV show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he's also in that. So doing a lot of television work. Cool. As long as he's keeping himself busy. Out of trouble. Keeping himself very busy. himself out of trouble. Good on you, Brian. Good on you, Brian. Keep
1: yourself busy. Can't wait to watch Blindfire. Fire. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so scene-impaired fireman.
0: I just really... This is one of those films where... Feel the heat because you he can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> Blindfire. Blind fire <laughs> <laughs> It's a blind fire fight I, lo-
1: I love it I love it so the much The fire can't see you <laughs> If it can <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, it's late
0: Craig's, it's like Craig's coffee's sleepy. worn off I'm sleepy He needs to go back to war yeah, get, that, get those get endorphins pumping war. Um, Craig, I I think we've pretty much talked About how great this film
1: is It's a tough film It's It's... Has the beautiful um, has the beautiful grain to it that yeah, it most does. of these films have um, it's very it's very t- suspense intense. yeah you know um and it's just yeah it's glorious, it really
0: really is um so let's get to the part of the episode where we sit down we start thinking about ranking this we are sitting down. We are sitting down, actually, so well done. We're already at step Yay, one. step one. <laughs> Tick. So, Craig, looking at the Cineful Studio whiteboard, do, 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 do. which is currently my notebook at the moment, uh, Craig has Point bracket number one. Yeah. Near Dark at number two. Yep. Strange Days at number three. Yep. We have Blue Steel at number four. Yep. Number five, K19, The Widowmaker. Yep. Followed by The Loveless and The Way to Water.
1: So I haven't really You know funny I didn't even put thought Into this It's interesting Yeah no way Very interesting It is very interesting man But Do you need more time To think No I'm Okay Gonna go with my heart
0: Take it to the hoop Craig Two. Oh, oh! Oh
1: You're under point break Oh man It's fucking point break Oh <laughs> man It's point man. break It's point I could quote point break Man I could quote Point Break. I believe I could that. basically go through Point Break and just sit. The amount of times I've watched Point Break is just what, you know what I mean? Like if you can, if you, if I have to throw away ninety percent of my Blu-rays, Point Break would be one of the ones I kept. Wow. You know what I mean? I'd be like, oh man, Hurt Locker is a fucking good film, but it's not Point Break. Yes, so <laughs> you know interesting. What I mean? It's it's well look well on paper on my my movie my movie brain mind is like man it's like 10 times more so much more quality in it yep man that's not why i love movies so interesting
0: craig so interesting I currently have Point Break at number one. Blue Steel at number two. Strange Days at three. Near Dark at four. K19 at five. Loveless at six. And Weight of Water at number seven. Craig, I'm not going to be as loose a unit as you. This is going to number one. Is this legitimately, uh, I can see why you've got Point Break as a top for sentimental value. Yeah. Uh, watchability, rewatchability. Um, Technically, it's not as good as. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm going with what the podcast is about, which is what is the story arc of Catherine Bigelow? Don't throw that shit at me. That's not what the podcast is about. It's about loving movies. It is about loving <laughs> movies. I love movies, but like when I think about this, this is, I think this is a technical achievement yeah, for right. for Bigelow. I think the fact that we've thought through shots that. You know, again, moments like when Renner is face to face with the taxi driver. Yeah, and he pulls the little hand pistol out, and then we're watching from the view of the taxi driver as this giant green man is walking towards him with a gun. Yeah, that's and, so cool. You know, that's this moment. I think about those slow motion moments of the explosion, the the bomb inside the body of the child. You know, all these moments. Then we have the moments at nighttime where they're running through the streets. Even the moments where, you know, they come across the platoon that's basically hiding in the alleyway so that they don't uh get blown up. You know, all these grown men that are tough just hiding and cowering. Um this film really is it's a technical achievement. Uh I watched it with some Headphones on, night noise counseling, oh, cancelling, cancelling wow. headphones, so the sound That'd was like o- just crazy. huge in my head. Awesome. Um, the sound to this film, the the sort of it has this almost like wow that happens when you're following the waves of the explosion go outward. It really is. This film is a technical achievement on you so know many Don's levels. Sound? I don't, to be honest. Um, even more so, when I know the story now of how much footage had to be edited to this film, mm. like the fact that this is a film that even when we have the moments of Shaky cam that we have those crisp moments, you know, and those nighttime shots are so grainy. <laughs> Um, it makes me really excited for Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah, Because I think, again, we have little moments of Bigelow that pop up. The, the moment that the rover is going out to look at the bomb, there's very strange days point of view action going on yeah. in that. You know, there's little moments of Bigelow. And I guess I'm also putting it at number one because, like I said earlier, I was worried that there wasn't going to be much of Bigelow in this film, that we would get this amazing film that just felt like someone else might have directed it. Red Dragon. Um, yeah. Like a Red Dragon. Um, that I'm so glad there are still moments of Bigelow in there, mm. but a mature Bigelow. Like this really feels like someone that's just been like, I can do, I've got something great in me. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And so I'm so glad uh, that this is a film where I know that there's great there. Uh, it's now made me a bit. I'm excited for Zero Dark Thirty, but I'm scared of Zero Dark Thirty. Now. I'm excited
1: for Zero Dark Thirty. I love incredibly Zero, Zero Dark 30. Thirty. Oh, I I'm can't so excited wait to, to watch it again. There. I can't wait to watch it again.
0: I um yeah, I'm worried a little bit about pacing. Mm. I feel like the last time I watched it, which was probably I bought it on Blu-ray. It's probably that that watch. I feel like I was like, oh, man, this is just slow. And maybe it was when I did the one-two puncher of Hurt Locker to this because this is such a fast pace. We're moving from moment to moment, intense moment to intense moment that Zero Dark Thirty is a bit different.
1: I think Zero Dark Thirty is borderline procedural. Yes,
0: very much so. And I guess that's a good expectation to build for people. Yeah, leading exactly. up to next this, week the,
1: It's not as frenetic as this one Yes
0: I love it So This film is number one for me I actually don't think Bigelow can do better than this film <sighs> But oh. I'm hoping that she does. K19, k K-20.
1: <laughs> K20. 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 <laughs> I love it. I love it. Harrison <laughs> the- Ford's revisiting all these old franchises, man. <laughs> all these old films. Imagine him and just Liam Neeson just back on the uh, ship. They wouldn't Liam- even need their makeup nah. to look old anymore.
0: Liam Neeson will be replaced by Phoebe Waller-Bridge's. <laughs> 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 um. I. Yeah. I really do. I. I think. This is big low firing on all cylinders. And I'm so glad. I actually was really thinking about. I started. This got me thinking about what number one films we've had from directors in the past. Yeah. You know, when you think of Zemeckis with a forest gum. <sighs> you know, for me, Snyder, I think, was Watchmen. I think yeah, he Watchmen. had Man of Steel on there. Um, but again, when I think about Man of Steel and Watchmen as films this is an achievement like those films are. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is such a next level for Bigelow. Yeah, it is. incredible. And so, I can't help but put this at number one. Easy. So, Craig, if people feel like they don't agree with us on this... Yeah. They're like, those two idiots, Weight of Water's the number one film. <laughs> yeah, <something> like <laughs> Way better than this. <laughs> You're great. We're going to get Liz
1: Hurley attacking us. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh Shane Warne coming in. Shane, up. I'm Shane Warne. Take it as, Shane Warne. You're classic. picking on my ex. <laughs> we
0: can people fight us, crazy.
1: Or <laughs> well, Shane.
0: Shane, can, where can you Shane, you us? can go
1: on the Twitter at <laughs> Podcast. Um, and you can go on to Instagram at Podcast as well. But hey, if you've got the shits, you can go straight onto Facebook and you can troll us on Facebook. Um, we've got a group from first to last podcast. We're on their page. Yep. Um, If you're more direct, just go email at us at info at FFTLpodcast.com or go to our website, www.fftlpodcast.com.
0: Love it, Craig. Like we say every week, please
1: subscribe to us if you like us. Yeah. Um, shoot Even if us you don't review. like us, you know, sometimes it's good to have... Someone you don't like in there Just to remind you Yes Yeah exactly Hate listen to us Yeah hate listen to us (laughs) Hate listen to us And just masturbate While you're doing it (laughs) Just to confuse your fucking mind Okay Because something's wrong with you If you don't like us So something's already wrong with you So you might as well just embrace it Just embrace (laughs) your mental illness
0: Are you Are you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was gonna say, are you encouraging us to be like the angry sex of podcasts?
1: Yeah, fucking that's it. That's great. We're the angry <laughs> the angry fetish. That sounds like a fucking great podcast name. Hey. We are your angry fetish. Go for it. <laughs> Go for it. I don't care. I listen don't care. to us in anger. I don't care what you're doing while
0: what you're, what you're listening to us. Just to us. Afterwards, begrudgingly give us a five-star
1: review. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And fill it full of just obscenities. And then share us with your friends. Share us with your friends. That's what we need. Exactly. In actual fact, that, that little
0: five-star is really important for helping people find us. Yeah, it is. And we get excited when
1: we see it. Yeah, it is. It's really cool. It's really it's real, nice. Not to a fetish extent, but we do get excited.
0: <laughs> we, do. we do. We do. We do. So thanks for making us your Angry Sex podcast. <laughs>
1: exactly. Your Angry Sex. Well, that'd be awesome if there's people just <laughs> angry banging to us in the background. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> just 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 hitting hitting climax at fucking when I'm saying at FFTLpodcast.com. podcast <laughs> <laughs> This is where they tell us to subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like man. and give us five stars. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the best. So good. Thanks, Craig. That's I'm just I mean. going to get the tears out of our eyes. That was beautiful. <laughs> um, so next week, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> yep, next week. We will be talking Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah. I'm very excited. It's out there for people to watch. I believe it's I saw everywhere. It. It's on Binge currently. Oh, is it, you're on in on on it on Binge Australia? It's on Binge. I'm on Binge now. Um, I cancelled
1: Amazon to get on Binge. Binge has got great content. Yeah, non-sponsors. Even though I just saw the trailer, they're the bringing out the trailer to Tomorrow War. Yeah, looks that looked with cool. Yeah, with Chris Pratt. Uh, yeah, that's on he Amazon. He does.
0: He does pop up next week. In Zero yeah. Dark Thirty. This is the one
1: this is the one that clicked him off, supposedly. It was. I believe Joel
0: Edgerton's in there as well.
1: Yeah, he is. He is. So he got a little See? bit of Aussie Joel Joel is another one who's on the Ben Mendelson route. Yeah, oh, he's
0: since Warrior. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect indeed. So next week we are talking Zero Dark thirty. Yeah. We love having you on for the ride. This has been such a fun season so it's far. It's been good. And been thank good. you to everyone that sort of tells us that they love what we're doing. Keep yeah. it up. We love, love the encouragement. Thank you so it. much. Also, huge thanks for everyone being awesome and just understanding the fact that sometimes we do need to just look after ourselves and yeah. take a week out. Sorry. Um, it's the first time in 96 episodes that we've had to do it. Oh, yeah. So
1: Yeah. Do we miss it once before? I don't think again. so. No, I don't okay. think
0: so. But, you know, just I guess what I want to say to everyone out there is thanks for being awesome, but look after yourselves as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. Look after yourselves. Don't be afraid to reach out. See if you're Yes, exactly. Look after each other too. Maybe we'll chuck something
0: out on the Facebook and see if everyone's doing okay. Exactly. We'll put it on the Facebook. That's right. The (laughs) Facebook or the FB. If you're like all the cool kids. Yeah, exactly. On the FB. So next week we are talking Zero Dark Thirty. From all of us here at From First to Last Podcast, I'm Jeff Reed. I'm Greg Killian. And we'll catch you next week. See you, lads.